Ready? Yep. Christ, how do you do that? Oh, fuck. We'll be conducting an interview up there. I can't leave you down there. <laughs> All right, Dan. Welcome to the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For those of you on the audio platforms, we are uh, in my rooftop jacuzzi with a 360 view of the island here in Phuket. But it's covered in ice, and it's an ice bath. And I'm freezing. Yeah, it's cold. This is a good one. I figured it'd be a great place to start the podcast. So how's your trip been to, uh, to Phuket so far? It's been good, man. It's been really fucking good. Dives are great. Dude, I did, I did two it. minutes yesterday. I saw that, yeah. 42 feet? Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. We've been doing some free diving. Um, Dan's been teaching me uh, how to hold my breath and, and, and be relaxed and a little better technique and Tony and... Fucking one-speed swick. The guy almost blacks out both days in a row. He's got no fucking It's because of him. It's because he's so competitive, this guy. He's so competitive, and so am I. So it's like... So that's the guy that came up with blue fucking lips. Yeah. But I did it. I finally did yeah, it. No, you did. You Only because you did it, though. So how you feeling? I'm good, man. Starting to feel a little better. Yeah, it's been one minute. So what's your favorite um, thing about Thailand, different than any other... Uh, country. I mean, obviously, you may have a better place, but what separates this place? There's just so much to do. Yeah. You know, you can, you can do the MMA gyms. You can go diving. You know, it's it's similar to Kauai, like this the Garden Island of Hawaii, but there's just more shit to do here. Yeah. You know, the water is so fucking warm. Not this water. No, not this water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh my god. My watch stopped. It stopped? Yeah. Did it say it was too cold? Oh, I think so. Don't break it. <laughs> I, I used a thermometer and it just said low. It didn't even yeah. give a temperature. So, uh, yeah, so we'll get done with this and uh, and then we'll go downstairs in the studio and uh, get into your book. It's yeah. coming out when? It's coming out uh, now or it's shipping soon, right? About a week. Yeah. So pretty much by the time this podcast posts, it'll be uh, available and we'll put the, the information at the bottom, how they can order it and, and get it shipped. It's fucking amazing. I didn't expect anything less from this man. Um, and I was actually shocked myself. And I've hung out with you for a while. It and I was a, at a couple of your parties, so. It took a while, man. It's two years about. Yeah? yeah? I'm proud that you wrote that, man. Like, it's like, for me to sit and try to write a book like that, and I know you did it, it's like, that's a lot of work. Yeah, I didn't really have a choice. Like, the ghostwriter that did it, he just had the wrong tone. You yeah. know, he was just uh, too braggy and, yeah. um, you know, just wasn't my voice. So if you want to. If you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. And with your book, if you want your voice, you just, I mean, there's no real shortcuts to it. Yeah. And you told it how it is with everyone, including yourself, which I thought was really cool. I mean, you, you basically, this is raw and gritty. It's the good, the on bad, you, the ugly, you know? On it's, you and everybody else. Mostly you, yeah. because you're the one that stays throughout the whole book. But, uh, yeah. And, yeah you and can't it's just actually, do a highlight reel. You know, yeah. too many of these guys, they just do a highlight reel, the greatest achievements, and they don't talk about all the embarrassing shit about themselves. And I think you got to do that, you know, especially when you've done as crazy a stuff as I have. I think you got to, you know, temper it with, with some, you know, bad, embarrassing shit as well, too. So. And your humor is quite funny, the way you describe stuff. Um, I think the Lance Armstrong cyclist chapter, the way you kind of mid gave your opinion on final notes, and then at the end was absolutely um, hilarious. <laughs> I laughed out loud and then showed everybody. There's a lot of people like that. Who would go to that after that? You know what I mean? Like, only you, so great. Anyway, by the way, long story short, great book. 
So without further ado, we will go and uh, jump into it. All right, so welcome to the indoor portion of the uh, the show. Yep. I didn't, uh, I remember asking you to do the podcast at your house 2018, and you said no. You're a man of your word. <laughs> and so I had to do 150 interviews and stay on you, and you said I'll definitely do it when I have something to promote, and man of your word. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I don't think I've done a podcast in, fuck, man, maybe like three years. Wow. So this is number one, so. This is the first one inside of a jacuzzi with ice? Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> How you started it? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it was a little foggy this morning, and uh, yeah, those ice baths, they're just kind of, you know, yeah. better with weed than, than GHB, apparently, but uh, <laughs> I feel better than when we started. <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, so that if, if uh, I'm talking a little funny here, it's because I'm freezing. We just got out of the, uh, as you saw, we just got out of the ice bath and we didn't take a break. We came straight in here. Um, so I got to ask you, what was the main purpose of your book? I mean, you obviously had a main purpose when you wrote this thing. It's a lot of work. What would you say the main goal is you're trying to accomplish? Well, so this book was written, not this book, but in 2016, I set out to write the book and I had a ghostwriter. I don't like reading, I don't like writing, I don't like any of that shit. So I got a ghostwriter, went through all of it, um, got a deal with Simon Schuster, and, um, you know, the book just wasn't the right voice. So I, you know, I just had to just do it right. And I, I kind of wanted to, you know, set the record straight. There's just so many misconceptions about me, and I'm one of those guys that kind of, like, lead with my worst traits. Mm -hmm. And I don't really care that much but I, you know, I'd rather be disliked for things that I've done yeah. rather than disliked for, you know, whatever. And also the story was really crazy. And I was kind of at a, you know, um, a turning point in my life with, with COVID. I had, you know, some time off. I'd been going so hard in the pleasure-seeking stuff. And uh, it was just the perfect timing, man. Like, if it wasn't for COVID, I don't think I would have sat down for two fucking years and done right. edit after edit after edit after edit, you know. And so just right time right place and i felt like i'd kind of like climbed the mountain i wanted to climb and so it was time to do something else and i was um i was training with with david goggins he uh he was over at my house and all the gyms were shut down and uh he was telling me about his book and i was like okay you know i'll read this fucking book and i read it and it's actually pretty good and it was it touched on a lot of things that i had done you know the right. seal training right. he had actually like one of the few guys that had done as much seal training as i had and um we were similar but very different like very very different yeah. but also very similar <laughs> yeah, yeah. in some areas too and so kind of an odd couple to be uh you know working out and hanging out and uh he told me he sold like 30 million dollars worth of books or some shit and i was like you gotta be fucking kidding wow. me and uh yeah the guy's like i never knew it was like that kid dude he sold over three million copies it's like so crazy wow yeah so I was like, ah, fuck, I got some time, you know, might as well just bang it out and fucking two years later, 37 fucking edits or whatever it was, it's finally done, so. So I remember you had a contest on your um, your Instagram to name the book. Yep. And I said, you should just call it Dan Bilzerian because that's enough, just big and bold on top. And 15,000 people agreed. You ended up calling it the setup, but ugh, it 
Kinda, <laughs> kinda looks like you took my advice a little bit there. Um, Dan Blazarin is the biggest uh, thing on your cover. So I did kinda, I half win? Do I get some, <laughs> some, some like partial credit for that or anything? So the setup came from Neil Strauss. He's the guy that uh, wrote the game, and uh, so I paid him on it. But you know, I, I actually, you know, we flip flopped this. We've gone with different pictures. This is kind of like where we landed, but. You know, I thought having the huge name was, you know, kind of lame, but they thought that it was sell more books. And well, no, I'm, I mean, <laughs> of I, course I, you would because it's your name, right? Yeah, just like I don't know, having the name bigger than the title seemed a little strange, but I don't know. That's where oh, I left that part out. I was going to say that. Yeah, I meant just the name and the title. I forgot to put that in there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you know it was kind of like a, you know, what's going to sell more books? Also, I had kind of a shitty haircut at the time. If I had the mullet, I probably would have accentuated that. But yeah, that's where we landed, man. So, so the book is kind. Of, what's awesome about it is it's kind of multiple books in one. I mean, it's uh, we have something in common as far as I wanted to be a seal when I was a kid, and you actually went to training. Um, but I read a lot of seal books, and your gritty, raw, honest, like like recount of that training is insane. I've never read something like that, and uh, we'll just. I'll just say that. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird time, you know, when we were growing up and we didn't have the internet, we didn't have access to all this material, you know. So right. I I didn't know anybody that was, you know, even knew anybody that was a SEAL. You couldn't go to the library and, you know, really get books. And that was back when, like, people actually went to the fucking library. And now you can yeah. just go on YouTube or, you know, Google whatever and watch people, like, actually in training. training. I didn't know what you wore. Like, I just had no <laughs> fucking idea. I didn't even know where yeah. it was. And so... Yeah, it's just uh, it's such a different world now, you know. But back then it was like, you know, all smoke and mirrors. Nobody had any idea. And it was like all this mystique. And uh, it was pretty scary, you know. But it was, um, you know, it was kind of my only option, really. And I think a lot of people join the military for that reason because that's like their best option. You know, everyone yeah. wants to make it seem so heroic. And, and while there is a lot of heroes in the military, it's like most people join because that's their best fucking right. option. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, and going back to that real fast, I'll get back to the buds thing. But uh, the part I was saying about multiple books, it's like you have the buds book, which is still training. Um, you have like a poker book, again that gets real raw and gritty in the poker world, which is something I've never read before. Um, you got the setup, your your way of kind of like setting up things to to work in your favor. Um, and then just entertainment, and and Sam could probably have his own chapter as well. Your friend Sam. Oh, he does. So it's he like has about multiple four. books, right? In one book, it's just so entertaining. That's the thing is like it was just such a you know different journey along the way. Like there's a childhood which was you know whatever, um, and then yeah, the military was just such a different you know direction in my life. And then we took a you know fucking hard left in the you know college, and then gambling, and so. Yeah, I mean, each each thing was very different, but, you know, I kind of wanted to dive into it because I think there's a lot of interest in, you know, what it's like to go through SEAL training. And like you said, there's not a ton of, you know, books right. about, you know, the actual training piece of it. And then, you know, gambling was a – that was a crazy thing. I mean, you're just totally on your own. You've You know, I mean, I was completely independent, you know, and you got to, like – manage this money just because you got you know a million bucks doesn't mean you actually have a million bucks because right. you could go out and fucking lose so it's <laughs> like it's kind of you know that was a crazy piece of the gambling was like money management it's, it's yeah. like just because you have a, a net worth of this doesn't mean you really have a net worth of that because you could go into work and fucking lose money it's like 
there's not a, not a lot of jobs like that. I mean, I think there's, you know, stock trading is probably the only one that I can really think of where you go into work, you do the right thing, and you can still fucking lose money. Right, right. You know, so there was a lot of stress um, with that. And then, uh, you know, it was just a, it was a crazy time because you've got so much freedom. And, you know, I went from, like, the structure of the military to then college, and then now I'm you know, gambling and I got fucking millions of dollars and I can travel and do whatever the fuck I want and no boss and no rules and no guidelines. So like the most rigid structure possible to like zero fucking structure at right. all. And yeah, it was a, it was a crazy time, man. Like it seems more glamorous than it was. And I talked about that a little bit in there, mm-hmm. you know, like the stresses of it is something that I don't think a lot of people really like fully take in, you know, because most people haven't lost millions of dollars in a night. Like that's yeah. a fucking kick in the nuts. Or yeah. even like on a smaller <laughs> yeah. scale, hundreds of thousands, right. you know, 10,000, five in college, fucking, you know, 500 yeah. bucks, like whatever. It's, it's just all relative to your net worth. And so when you go in and you lose an amount of money that like actually changes your fucking life, it's, yeah. you know, it's something that most people just, you know, couldn't deal with or right. wouldn't want to deal with and, you know, hopefully shouldn't deal with. But yeah. You know, it's part of the fucking thing, you know. And then in the SEAL training, um, I got to ask you, because it was so gritty and raw. I don't want to give it away, but what you did during your training uh, on your little excursions down south, is that something common? And and does the Navy know that you put that in this book? Is, oh, the is, is there going to be some controversy from that? <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, man. There will be controversy <laughs> about a lot of this stuff. So but... you didn't really, like, get approval for a lot of this stuff? No. I mean, you know, I think they're probably going to frown on smuggling steroids up your ass across the border. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> but you definitely still want to read it, trust me, because yeah. he goes into great detail about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things where – um, you know, we were going down to Mexico every week. And so every time you go down there, you know, you're taking a risk, right? Like if right. you get caught down there and you get thrown out of training. So, you know, do you want to risk getting caught going down every week or do you want to risk the one time coming across the border, you know? And so we figured if we stuck the steroids up our actual asshole, then, you know, it'd probably be the least chance of getting searched. So probably, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. You know, I don't know what percentage of those guys are doing it, but it's certainly a lot more than I thought when I went in. Like, yeah. when I went in, it wasn't really a consideration. I thought it was like, you know, steroids are such a big deal. But I think probably, I don't know, over a third of the guys are probably juicing. Yeah, that's crazy. And and it was so gritty how you described it. And I think another good thing I liked about your book, I'm having a hard time talking because I got chills. I, dude, I'm fucking... Fr- I'm like... Yeah, me too, <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, if, if I'm stumbling, it's not that I'm punch drunk. I, know, I feel like I'm like trying to catch my breath. I was negative zero <laughs> degrees for like 10 minutes before this conversation. Um, but another thing you did really good at the, uh, that you did that I liked really well in the book is uh, adding all the people's... Uh, uh, the vignettes. The vignettes, right? Yeah. Because like you had people that were still commanders, people that were in your buds class. Um, po- I mean, throughout the whole book, you had people, and I think that really added value. And like you said in the beginning, you're trying to – your goal kind of was to kind of set the record straight because you can't always answer. And Dana's a lot like this too. Like he takes a lot of cri- criticism and doesn't doesn't answer, doesn't like – and he has the answer but just doesn't do it. Because it might create more drama or more whatever. So he just lets it go. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think this is going to really help you answer a lot of questions through other people who's in that same thing. And the people no choice but to shut the fuck up. Yeah, there's a few pieces of it. Like, so the vignettes is actually, um, 
that was my girlfriend's dad that recommended that and Ted Turner did that in his book and there's been some other people that have done that and it's just nice to get like that different viewpoint especially from you know very credible people you know Navy SEALs celebrities whatever um, doctors lawyers whatever and so I think I think that helps you know in giving a different perspective um, it obviously gives credibility too. you know, I'd like my SEAL instructor. I had a guy that's, you know, commander of SEAL Team 6. He's been in for 20 years, you know. So I got, you know, people that were there, like in my class, officers that were in my class, my head bud instructor, head buds instructor. Yeah, don't <laughs> right? worry. They so know, like, they know at least. Yeah, like, so all these people, you know, like they're given their perspective of, you know, what it was. And I think that that's important. Um, but yeah, as far as like the, you know, the Dana thing, you know, you when you get a platform that's so fucking big and you've got these news outlets running, you know, shit stories, it's kind of like, yeah, you could set the record straight, but then you could also, like, give this shitty news outlet all this fucking shine yeah. and all these eyeballs. You know, I can show you the, you know, the stats. It's like... And what you say is on, under a microscope. So, like, if you, if you just kind of go off, they'll take one piece of it and run with it as a headline. And yes. then that's what it's about instead of what you initially uh, planned for it to be. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, you know, if you look at, you know, the amount of people that are seeing these fucking posts, right? It's yeah, like, it's crazy. you know, what is it? I saw one the other day. Yeah, 66 fucking million, right? So, you know, when you don't buy Jesus. your fucking followers, then, you know, you get shit like that, like fucking almost 2 million shares in the goddamn post, right? So... It's, it's a lot of power, man. Yeah, but you know, it's it's a big it's a big spotlight, you know, and so it's like, do we want to shine that spotlight on a shitty article that's not true, you know? Because yeah. I grew up and it was like, if I read something or I saw it on the news, like I assumed that it was true. I mean, that's just how I grew up, and I think that's true of a lot of people. I think this newest generation is probably the only one that's actually like starting to see, like, I mean, especially like CNN. I mean, yeah. so much of that stuff is bullshit, yeah. and you start seeing it. But when I was growing up, we didn't have social media. We didn't have all this stuff. So it's like what you saw in the news was kind of like it was just believed. Right. And so, you know, it's it's tough. You know, when when you get too big of a platform, you actually get a little bit muted because, other you know, every time somebody writes a shitty article, if you address it, then there's going to be more shitty articles right. and more people are going to want to talk sure. shit. Yeah. You know, exactly. You know, just like, you know, fucking during the shooting, you know, that fucking dipshit Marine, you know, he used me to get famous. And you yep. know, so many of these people, they'll latch onto your fucking wagon trying to get famous, trying to get noticed, you know, and it's like, you know, kind of like Jake Paul, you know, not that he wasn't, you know, a well known guy, but, you know, he's kind of like latched onto the UFC, onto Dana, right. you know, and by starting that drama, it's smart. I mean, it yeah. gets eyeballs and it works, you know, clickbait. I mean, it's, you know, the 6 9 you know, built a lot of his career based on being a troll. His whole career, yeah. yeah getting his <laughs> views, you know, so it's like, you know, I get it, you know, yeah. but it's just kind of sad now that our, our news is more about like getting views than putting the story out there, you know, and so. It's one of those things where, you know, you, a lot of times, you know, you can't address it or, you know, it's it's probably worse off to address it. Plus, like, you know, if you if you don't block out all that bullshit, then, it you know, it'll fucking drive you nuts. So, yeah, um, if I get this correctly, you had a great Denzel Washington quote in your book that said, if you don't read or if you don't read the newspaper, you're misinformed. If you do read it, you're ill informed. Um, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's I think so it's kind of like I think what it was you're like originally right from Mark Twain. I think he, yeah. he got that. But yeah, if you don't, yeah. Exactly. But it was a great quote in the book because it's so true, right? Yeah. Like you have to get informed by reading it. 
But it's always ill-informed information, right? They're, they're always going to be clickbait, and, and they don't That's give a shit the who they hurt. They yeah, it's like, do you not read the they news, have to do and then you know out? nothing? Right. Or do you read the news and possibly, you know, get, get a bad yeah. opinion? So, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, it's like, you know, it's a... It's an interesting predicament, you know. And before we get into poker, I want to ask you something. Um, after reading your book, like I, ha- I have to assume, possibly ever, do you think you've slept with more women than any human being on earth currently and ever? No, I, I think, well, it's hard to say. How know? could somebody catch you? Well, because I had a window, right? Like, I wasn't always getting a lot of pussy. Like, I didn't get a ton of pussy in college. Or, sorry, I did in college. I didn't in high school. I got very little pussy in the military. So, it's like, for my run, I mean, I had to have fucked more than anybody on the on the fucking planet. There's no way. Because I was taking Cialis, <laughs> testosterone. I was, no bullshit, fucking on average at least three to four times a day. Yeah. Which, like, most people can't even fuck four or five, six times a day. But, yeah. like, you know, I, that was, like, my sole focus. And I just, you know, I'm, you know, obviously bad sex addict, right? So it's like I had the resources, the ability. I think there are probably more sex addicts if they could. I think there's a lot of, like, porn addicts. Yeah. But if they had the ability to, like, get that much pussy, I think there would be a lot of people that would be addicted to that. And um, so I don't think I've fucked the most girls. I think – I have to be up there as far as like the most hot girls, um, but guys like Hugh Hefner. I mean, he had like a long run, man. Like from fucking twenty to what eighty. Yep. I mean, so it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, did I did I beat um, sixty years? And like, still like, though, I don't know, man. Whatever. Reading this book, it's like hard to imagine that like. Uh, well, but know. there's also guys that are, you know, more famous than me, more, you know, prestigious, whatever. Yeah, they live with 15 girls. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> you know I, mean, I mean, like I, maybe a couple of weekends here and there, but. Yeah. And also, I think that guys that have been getting pussy their whole life probably like, you know, unless, like I said, they're a bad sex addict, probably like phase out of it a little bit more. For me, I had that like perceived deficit. So when I could, then I really like went to the end of the earth with it. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, if a poor guy gets the opportunity to make some money, you know, and then buy some cool shit, he's going to buy all the cool shit right, in the fucking course. world. But if you grew up with all the fucking money, you know, a lot of times, yeah. you know, you don't do the nouveau riche thing. I mean, I grew up with money and still did the fucking nouveau yeah. riche thing, but like most <laughs> people don't, right? Yeah, so, right. Yeah. And then the setup. So. You know, there's a lot to take from that. So, I mean, you don't have to be you and making millions of dollars from your poker to, to actually use the things that you give, the advice you give in the book. And I think it's going to change a lot of things depending on how many people read it and use it. Um, it's not going to be good for women to like, because if if guys start using your advice, well, they're, they're going to give them a lot less attention, which I've always agreed with. Yeah, but I've you never been understand. a guy to gawk at girls, you know, because yeah, it, but it like women, their level. women have been using the setup. Like, dude, well, right, they got yeah. fucking fake heels, fake tits, yeah. fake eyelashes, fake, you know, makeup. Like, they don't look like that. So, like, they're doing all these things to like set it up in their favor. Plus, they've got a lot more experience. They've got guys that are constantly hitting on them throughout their whole life. Right. So they, they walk into a situation. They can read it better. And also, like, when somebody's chasing you, you have so much more power. You're so much more in control. Like, the moment a girl realizes a guy's interested in her, she can kind of, like, you know, she can just deal with the situation differently, right? right? She has so much more power. The guy's chasing her. He's indicated interest. Now, in her mind, she's figuring out ways to disqualify him. I mean, it's that whole thing, right? So this just kind of, like... 
gives guys a little bit more of their power back. Like we're in such a bad spot in the U.S. because, you know, it's like women want equal rights when it's convenient, but then they still want the door open for them. They still want fucking dinner paid for, right? Like it's like equal when it's convenient and then they want all the perks as well. And if they're hot, they could be fucking flying on private jets when they're 20 years old and doing all the shit that I wanted to do, right? Like so (laughs) they have a lot of doors open for them. This is just kind of like even in the – evening the playing field a little bit and i think you know we these guys they grow up with like all this hollywood bullshit which is oh kiss the girl's ass like you know do whatever she wants like chase her and it's like all this stuff is bullshit man it's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do they get some gay gay guy to fucking play the lead role in these romance movies and shows these guys all the wrong fucking things to do, you know? And these guys are the biggest simps and suckers. And women do not respond well to that. They really yeah. don't. Like, they want a challenge. They want a little bit of a chase. Like, if if a guy, you know, goes up to a girl, oh, you're so beautiful, let me buy you a drink, immediately she's looking at this guy like a sucker and, like, thinking of reasons why she doesn't want to fuck him. Yeah. You know, so it's like they just teach you the wrong approach. And I don't think there's enough information out there about, like, what you should do with girls. So, I mean, you know, Hollywood teaches you everything that you shouldn't. All right, fellas, you want to help support the podcast? I know you do. All this content, all these interviews with these fantastic guests that we're putting out for you. Well, now you can. And you can save 20% off and get free shipping by getting the best below-the-waist men's grooming products on the market. I'm talking about Manscaped. All you got to do is go to manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com, enter code QUICK at checkout, 20% off, and free shipping. Quick is my nickname. It is not how you use the product. Uh, don't be silly, fellas. Come on. Uh, but Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and now they have the new Lawnmower 4.0, which is next level, the best trimmer on the market ever made. What makes it different? It has skin-safe replacement ceramic blades, controllable LED lights, wireless charging dock, and a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology, and it's even waterproof. They also have a full line of hygiene and grooming products like the Shears 2.0 Luxury Nail Kit, Crop Mops, Preserver, Reviver, and a lot more. Manscaped has everything you need to appeal to your lady friend, but don't thank me. Thank yourself. By going to manscaped.com, entering code QUICK, get 20% off, get free shipping. It's a win-win for you. It's a win-win for us, and you're supporting the podcast. All right, so you, you, <laughs> got, you, uh, little you got a blanket. <laughs> yeah, <dude>. You <laughs> added a blanket to your wardrobe. You, like, got our cores cold. I haven't had for, my core cold for, for a while. For the record, though, this was Dan's idea to do the uh, ice bath, so I didn't, I didn't make him. Well, I realize that, but you're so fucking competitive with everything that you do that you always have to, like, push the fucking He thinks. <laughs> I sat in the ice bath like 30 <laughs> seconds longer than him, and he thinks that I did that out of competitiveness, oh, fucking which, could be, true, which okay, could be true. Which could be true. We did our swim in the, in the pool. We did the 25. I did the 25 meter. Then you had to one up with the 40. Then I did the yeah. 50. Then you about fucking killed yourself with the 50. So, yeah, there is a little bit of <laughs> We are competitive. And I've almost died being competitive with you multiple times this trip. I think the most dangerous thing I did was that cave. The cave was definitely. Because I had no idea how deep it was, totally how far it was. I can't believe you did and that. And the previous day, I couldn't clear my ears. and I went 10 feet down maybe at the most, 15 feet. Yeah. No, it's funny because. That uh, was the scariest thing when I got down there. We, I specifically didn't take you to that cave because I knew there was a decent chance that you'd just <laughs> fucking John Wayne and sure. <laughs> I saw that cave. It was so beautiful, man. Uh, it and I was, was. Just like, boom. 
Yeah, no, it was, it was a cool video. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Uh, this reminds me of the old fucking Bud's days. <laughs> like, I'd be sitting in my car, man, and I'd uh, the fucking heater on full blast. Oh, that's amazing. Have the heater on full blast, and uh, and I just like I, I couldn't get warm. Yeah. I'd fucking I'd be in there. I'd have the goddamn heater on. Have a sweater on, and it was just like man, it just nothing seemed to matter. It'd just be shivering. Well, for the record, a jacuzzi with jets and ice is a hell of a lot colder than the, a regular ice bath. Well, the reason I think that it got so cold is because you'd been cooling it since 9 a.m. Right. So yeah, when you start, yeah, when you start. Because I wanted the big ice blocks to still be there, and it's the sun beaming yeah. down, you know. No, no, it's good. That but, was uh, good. At least we're done with that shit. <laughs> we got it. We got it. We did it, and we're done. Um, so you used a, a, a setup-type method for your poker as well. Um and it worked quite well. You you were quite quite ingenious uh, in figuring out ways to take money off of people that were less good than you that had a lot of money and didn't mind losing it. So like yeah, I've been, I've always been kind of like a little bit of an out of the box thinker, right? So with right. poker and with a lot of these things, I try and figure out what I want, like what's my objective, and then I figure out like how to make that happen, right? So for poker. You know, some guys, you know, I mean, everybody wanted to make money, but some guys also wanted to be famous from it. You know, they wanted other people to think they were good. There was like all, all these things that went with it. They wanted to win bracelets. Right. For me, I just wanted the money. Yeah, That's course. it. Literally, I just <laughs> wanted the money. I didn't give a fuck about the ego part of it with poker. You know, I, I let people shit on me. I, you know, let them drag out the trust fund thing. I, you yeah. know, embraced it. I leaned into it. You know, and like obviously it's more prestigious to, you know, make your own money and whatever and be self-made. But, you know, if everybody want to think that I had a trust fund and that that's where I got all my money, then, you know, great. Because that helped my poker and right. that made people want to play with me and that allowed me to get into those really good games. So, you know, there's been a lot of times when I've, you know, swallowed my pride, you know, fucking took it on the chin with the ego and all that stuff because I wanted to fucking accomplish my objective. And with poker... I want to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time. And right. so, you know, I i mean, that was a very clear path. Like, for me, it was just play against the worst players that right, had the most course. money, right? So, and, and, and the I more said, coke, the better, it seemed like, well, the I just, players. Well, <laughs> and, and yeah, the more distractions. With Sam, yeah. <laughs> and so, for me, it was just, you know, how do I get into these games you know, and so breaking into the, you know, the private circuit in, uh, in Hollywood, I mean, I knew that was the answer. And so, I kind of I got lucky with Nick Cassavetti's game. It was the first one I um I really played, and I'll never forget, man. I like showed up there, and it was, you know, it was a ten thousand dollar minimum buy-in, and back then that was a lot for yeah. poker. Poker's kind of progressed, and it's not that like people have necessarily really gotten that much richer. It's just the games just keep going up and up in stakes, and um and so back then that was a that was a big game, and I you know I made over six figures you know the first night I played it, and I just remember there was you know fucking ferraris and range rovers and you know everybody there was you know a, a big producer they're an actor or something and i was just you know i was the poorest guy in the room and uh and you know i kind of had to lean into the trust fund thing a little bit yeah. and, you know and, and and act a little bit crazier than i was actually playing i mean i was playing a lot of hands but I wasn't doing that many like really big bluffs. So I was kind of playing, you know, I was like one of the first guys to really play that loose aggressive style. And so what you do when you play loose aggressive is you'll open a lot of hands, you'll you'll raise a lot preflop, small amounts, you'll be in a lot of hands, you'll you'll narrow the fields because when you raise less people are in there. 
So you're basically playing heads up or against two or three guys, and so you can get away with more bluffs. And because of all that, because you're playing more hands, because you're bluffing more often, the perception is that this is a fucking crazy guy and that he never has it and then wow. he bluffs a lot. And so when you do get that big hand and that guy's got top pair, top kicker, he's, you know, he's just not going to lay it down. And so in the back of their mind, like especially a super rich guy, if he thinks there's any chance that you could be bluffing, he's going to talk himself into calling because he wants to know. Yeah, yeah. You know, like he doesn't want to fucking lose sleep <laughs> that night because yeah. some fucking asshole flips over yeah. a bluff and embarrasses him in front of the table. Yeah. If he loses some money, he doesn't give a fuck, right? Yeah. Like 50000 to him, you know, hundred grand to you know, somebody that's got you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars isn't going to change their life. But getting embarrassed in front of that fucking table and having some kid flip over a bluff will. That'll fuck yeah. their ego up, right? So like – I was able to actually reduce my risk because, you know, when I put big money in, a lot of times I had it and they'd be drawn dead. I'd have trips or something and this guy would have one pair and, you know, and they would get their money in just so bad. Um, And so, and even when I was bluffing, you know, a lot of times I'd have out. So it was one of those things where, um, you know, table image was important, you know, and and that was part of, you know, kind of like the setup is, you know, by being perceived as a crazy player. Then you can predict what other people are going to do and, you know, and also, you know, obviously getting into games with terrible players was very beneficial as well. It's smart. You know, and I think uh, a lot of poker players uh, shit on you a little bit because I think they were jealous because, you know, they spent their career being pro. And then once you're pro, the guys you play don't want to play with those guys, right? Yeah. Get well, see, a lot of those guys were like, in their minds, they're a better player than me. But well, yeah, I, they are, most, a lot of them, right? Well, technically. Technically, But yeah. part of poker is like Winning. understanding. <laughs> well, it's it's the, the scoreboard is a bank account. I mean, yeah. how much money you've yeah. won tells me how much, you know, or how good you are at poker. Assuming we all start off with fucking a small amount of money, which we did. Um, then how much you've won should tell you how good you are because a lot of poker is getting into good games, getting into pots with bad players, getting them on tilt, getting them to play bad against you. A lot of times you'll make fundamental, you know, like game theory optimal mistakes, but it'll yield dividends in the long run because this guy pays you off every single fucking time you've got a big hand. You know, then when you made a mistake and you played loose or you made a bad call or whatever you did or made a bad bluff earlier, you know, like in, you know, if if that guy's playing perfect, then that's a terrible play. But if that causes him to call you every single time from that point on and play very bad against you and want to beat you in every fucking hand, then it was actually like, you know, a good play. Yeah. Right. But they, they see the computer and they're playing online. And so a lot of their stuff is very robotic. And it's, you know, it's like, OK, what am I supposed to do? How do I exploit this spot? And, you know, like it's just all this math, which is great. Like, I respect it. You know, like if they're playing against computers or they're playing against a bunch of pros, like they're going to do better than I will. But yeah. that wasn't my objective. My objective was to get bad players to play fucking worse mm-hmm. for big money. And that's what I did. It was awesome. You know? And so, and, and so, yeah, and a lot of those guys never had access to these games, so they never saw that. And I, and I wasn't running around trying to, like, you know, talk about my wins. But, right. I mean, I bought a fucking jet when I was 33, right? Like, so, I mean, trust fund didn't kick in until I was 35. I mean, like, so a lot of this stuff, like, you know, was perpetuated because I wanted this, you know, idiot image and I would always talk about my losses and, I, you know, I'd, I'd hype those up and people would talk about this and talk about, you know, bad plays that I made. And, you know, there'd be times when I'd get a fucking cooler out yeah. of kings, you know, and this guy would have aces or, you know, we were playing super fucking loose to the point where you don't fold those preflop or, yeah. you know, or maybe I'd have, you know, middle set and he'd have top set. 
And, you know, uh, it, you know, people would just think, oh, he was bluffing. But, I, you know, some of those spots I had fucking big hands, right? So, like, there's times when I'd muck my cards and people would be like, oh, he was fucking bluffing again. Mm-hmm. But really, I just got coolered. Um, so, like I said, a lot of it's table image. A lot of it's understanding, you know, how other people perceive you. You know, there's different levels to it. There's like, okay, what does he think that I have? then what does he think that I think that he has? And then what does he think that I think that he thinks that I, you know what I'm saying? Like you can keep going. Right. So with a lot of it is, you know, what do I think his range is? What, what do I think he thinks that my range is and how is he going to play against me based on that? And so there's a lot of like mental warfare. And then, you know, with a lot of these guys, I mean, they're not very good. So with them, it's binary. It's like, Oh, he's either bluffing or he's got it, you know? And so for them, you know, they're just going to find out if you have it because they don't want to fucking lose sleep. So, yeah. yeah. And the way you set that up is good because you got people to want to play with you, unlike pros. And you use this facade of like, I'm a I'm a trust fund kid and, and I have all this money and you, you, you played it perfect. You know, yeah. and it's the same thing that kind of bit you in the end where people talk shit about you, but it made you a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, the more they talk shit and the more they said I was bad, the more games I got right. into, right? I mean, that's how I got in with AG. You know, that's how I got in to play that billionaires because people were talking about how bad I played in Ibiza when I was playing a Gies game. Nice. And so I lost some money there and, you know, I hyped it up and told everybody about how much money I lost yeah. there. And it was like, oh, this guy's fucking horrible. And that got back to Alec and Alec was like, okay, time for me to take him off, yeah. you know? And so Alec and I battled and I even lost money in a ring game against Alec. So, you know, he had seen me play, he had heard that I was bad and then... You know, when we were playing for the big money, you know, I, I didn't play so bad. But yeah. I, I played aggressive, which you're supposed to do heads up. So he was playing against me like he had played against Andy Beal, the guy that he had beat for like maybe $700 million that year. And so that that guy's, you know, I think he's worth like 13 or $17 billion. And so these two billionaires were battling, playing for crazy money. And so I, I guess, you know, like Alec has won more money than any other poker player in the history, you know. But, you know, they were also like playing for crazy stakes so it's a little different but i mean i guess if you're just going by the scoreboard you know you know he's won the most money but you know he's played against one guy he's won all that money off of one guy i I made my money off a lot of different guys in a lot of different games um but he still made more money than me in poker so yeah if we're we're just going by the scoreboard i'm number two (laughs) yeah you know i was with full tilt and me and bruce buffer actually so I was with all those guys. I have three World Series caches. So I got to see a lot of action firsthand with those guys. I've never seen the kind of gambling you did. And then you had the guys, uh, you had actually poker pros come in on your book and, and, and give uh, their take of your, pl- your playing Mike Mattisau, whatever. Um, and the swings and the stress of the swings from like hundreds of thousands to, to 10,000. And you're yeah. talking millions. How was it the stress dealing with that? And and was it Sam that you were playing for the Learjet versus the Bugatti? That no, that was, Alec. Alec. that was Alec. Okay. How is it to bet a Learjet and a Bugatti? And it, and it was weird. Like it actually like that was like, crazy. I was like that was like one of the one things that kind of like fucked my head a little bit. Yeah, is when he started. You know, he he like insisted on betting, and you know, like a Mercedes a hundred grand and a Ferrari was three hundred. But Learjet. you start saying it, it fucks your head up, right? It, it does, man. It's like a weird thing when you start like you know, and and that's why they made casino chips. I mean, it's genius, right? These little pieces of fucking plastic, you know, you chuck a little piece of plastic in the center of the fucking, you know, table and that's a hundred grand, right? Like, and I remember back in the day, we used to play with bricks of hundreds. Like, so you'd throw in a hundred grand and it was fucking like a brick, like a big fucking brick of a hundred grand. And people would see that and be like, fuck, their asshole would pucker up. And so it got to the point where like, you know, you would see some of the guys like 
their bluff tendencies were actually higher when they threw in the money because the money was more intimidating. And so when they wanted a call, they would, you know, be more likely to throw in chips. So, you know, you had to like, that was kind of like, okay, is this guy doing this because he doesn't want me to call or is he doing this because he wants me to think that he does? You know, so there was yeah. a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, when you're playing with chips, it just, you know, kind of seems like monopoly money. Yeah. Um, but when you start talking like that, yeah, it's just like, yeah, Bugatti's, it registers. Ferraris, that changes shit up a little bit. Tangible items. It does. But, you know, so for me, the, the stress was, you know, to get back to your question, the stress was more when it was for millions, but it was for a different reason. It was the reason why the stress was high for that is because when I was playing Alec, I was playing so big that I was actually playing big enough where like if I had enough losing sessions, I could have gone broke. Yeah. Like that's scary. Yeah, it was weird because like you can't I couldn't go lose 10 12 million dollars to him and then go play back at the fucking kitty game, you know? Yeah. Like like how long is it going to take me to fucking win that back playing, you know, against the, you know, rich Hollywood guys like yeah. in the ring games. I mean, that would take you fucking, you know, whatever. Like it could take a lifetime to win that, right? right so right. like when you graduate to like playing super high stakes against a bad player and you start losing, like in my mind, I knew I was like, fuck, if I start losing to this, like, that's what was scary to me is I was like, if I start losing against this guy, I'm going to come back. And if I lose again, I'm going to come back. And if I lose again, like we could just fucking lose it all <laughs> here. Going. Right. Because, and that was the thing. So that's what caused me the stress in the back of my mind, knowing that I was never going to quit this guy. And then also there was like a piece where like, Rick Solomon had accused um, his dealer of cheating. Like, this guy would never fucking cheat. He's, like, right, super right. rich, like, honorable fucking stand-up guy, whatever. But, like, these dealers are getting tipped three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a night, like, in a oh. night for fucking chucking some cards. Yeah. Right? I tipped her three hundred grand because I didn't want to get cheated. Right? So I'm yeah, like, okay, yeah, if yeah. I fucking tip as much as this fucking guy, like, at least there's not, like, the monetary incentive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And so and, – and he actually, like – like did a lie detector test and there was like the whole thing like and the and, and like you said he brought somebody right like so some kind of guy that i helped, did or you did so when to, i played watch the dealer yeah i brought a casino pit boss yeah so i had him fucking watching <laughs> these dealers like a hawk yeah. you know makes and so, sense yeah it was like a very delicate thing like i'm beating this guy so like i could never like you know even insinuate that there could be any of that going on right yeah. and you know and so like when they you know when they requested the hand shuffle and stuff you just like you get a little nervous because dude like one hand like I, I, there was a time i was sitting with 18 million dollars in front of me and he always had me covered and buy in for like 50 yeah, million whatever worst. it was right so if he says <laughs> all in you, you have a big call i gotta make a decision for 18 million dollars yeah, and yeah. like this guy also has that in his fucking toolbox where like he could just fucking chuck in 18 million bucks on a fucking stone cold air ball yeah so like you know that's another thing with poker why i got paid off a lot of times is because people knew that i was capable of sticking my whole stuff back in with nothing and there's a lot of pros that will never fucking the do whole that bankroll. Yeah. The, well not not necessarily the whole bankroll well, but like that time. what they got on the table yeah. you know like there's a lot of pros especially when they're winning that just are not going to fucking send it on a fucking stone air ball like they might do with a flush draw a straight draw like with some you know kind of a draw where they're like semi bluffing but they're not just going to like ship the river with fucking nothing yeah. very I mean like some of these guys have it in them but most guys don't Halleck had it in them and I also did too but to a lesser extent um and so yeah that was like man like you know no limit 
whatever you got on the table, it's fucking always yeah. in play. And yeah. so, yeah, that was a crazy time, man. What was the mo- I know you said that in the book, I think, but what was the most you ever won in one go? Like one settings. I, cause I can't remember if, if the amount that I remember was a year yeah, so or I if had it a, was one setting. I had a few big wins. Um, I had a, it was like a 10.8 against Alec. That was in one wow. night. Jeez. And then I got a text from Rick Solomon when he won $42 million against Andy Beal. And uh, and I had 25% of that. And I remember I was in um, I was in a ski chalet in uh, in montana with my girlfriend and bobby baldwin and his girlfriend and we were watching a movie and i got a text we win 42 million and so i was you know my piece was 10 and a half and i was just like that was probably one of the happiest moments of gambling for me yeah. because i didn't have to play so i didn't have to usually like when i would win it would be after a fucking 16 hour yeah. grueling session yeah. fucking hair falling out stress <laughs> to the goddamn max right like <laughs> And, and so after that, you're like you're like a zombie walking out. You're like, cool, I won ten million, but it's not like, you know, I had to smoke a joint in my house yeah. and just like sit on the beanbag <laughs> and be like, okay, like I won ten million, that's fucking cool. But like driving home, it's like you're kind of happy, but you're also just so fucking sapped. Like, and in poker, you know, I talk about this in the book, like you have to mute your emotions because right. when you're at the table, you can't be like internally celebrating every time you win a big pot. You can't be fucking, you know, acting like your dog died when you fucking lose, you know, and like sending yourself on this emotional roller coaster. So you're keeping yourself pretty flatlined, right. you know? And so, you know, when I would, when I got that text from Rick, I hadn't been playing. Like I, I was not in that mode. Everybody. Yeah. Well, I was taking, yeah, a bunch of different people and I was on vacation and, you know, like I knew I was going to get a text back. I didn't know mm-hmm. what it was, but I didn't have the stresses of playing and I didn't have to like yeah. mute it. I could like celebrate, you know, yeah, like yeah, I was yeah. like, oh fuck, like that's a lot of money. Like I'm stoked, you know? And so that was, that was my happiest win for sure. Um, but then I won, I was like 12.7 or 12.8 from um from Alec but it was it was a it was like a two part session so like the first session I was up I think like 8 or 9 wow. and then I came back and that's when I had that the biggest hand I've ever had which was the one where I had the the nut flush against the second nut flush which is just like a cooler yeah. of all coolers it's not even a fucking <laughs> so. skill in fact like <laughs> skill considered like I probably like had the worst possible outcome cuz like nobody's supposed to fold the second nut flush, yeah. you know? And so, like, but this guy's, like, trying to, like, wheel and you deal. You did something and t- wrong, if I remember correctly, Yeah, right? I showed him the ace. You showed him the you ace, know? But, like, this was. guy's, like, talking about taking his money out of the pot and, like, yeah, chopping yeah. it. Like, nobody with the second nut flush ever yourself? does that. You cost yourself fuck, a few million man, dollars, like, right? like, $10 million or something. Just for showing that ace. Well, fuck, like, I wanted the guy to call. Like, yeah. he's talking about chopping the pot. He's, like, fucking <laughs> offering deals. Like, yeah. nobody does that with a second nut flush. You know, and so I was like, I don't know, man. And also it's a spot where like if you like if you have the naked ace, you could definitely be, you know, bluffing in that spot because you know that he doesn't have the nut flush. I mean, and heads up, people just don't fold like king high flushes. You're not supposed to. Like statistically it's just a bad fold. But he was right. You yeah. know, and I fucked up the biggest pot of my life, you know. Yeah. I still won it, but yeah, I mean, that was definitely not like a pat myself on the back moment for sure i mean i was in the bathroom just like literally kicking myself because he took so fucking long on this hand that i had to go to the bathroom because i didn't want him to just like stare at me for the next hour yeah. so i like literally went and hid in his fucking shitter <laughs> while i was just like let me know what you decide you know like i'm tired of answering your questions yeah. i'm fucking out 
And so I like sat in the bathroom and all I could think the whole time was like, you stupid motherfucker, you just cost yourself fucking $10 million. But yeah. But you still came out ahead. I did. And this is the crazy thing about poker because I was at the World Series and I cashed 10th. I bubbled the final table out of 2,500 people in one of the $1,500 no limits or 2,000, something like that. Yeah. And I walked away with almost $40,000 and I've never been so sick in my life. So you can actually win money in poker and still be sick. And that, that's yeah. not to your level, but as far as me, but that's what you're talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, they kind of call it upstuck, you know, where it's like, or if you were at a higher point, you know, like let's say you were up like, you know, 500, too, 500 yeah. grand and then you lost. Lucid, yeah. yeah, there's like, there's been times when I've like, you know, whatever, let's just pick an arbitrary number, 500 grand, and then you lose back 300 grand and you're, you you're win 200 too. grand. But you leave miserable. Yeah. And then there's other times when you're like <laughs> down a million bucks and you come back and you fucking you only lose 100,000 yeah, yeah, or 200. Yeah, you're like stoked, yeah. right? So it's like you like, yeah. you know, step back and you're like, look at this. And you're like, okay, the outcome of this is I'm leaving the table with 200 grand. And the outcome of this is I'm leaving the table minus 200 grand, but I'm happier here. You know, it's like, but it's just kind of like, and that's part of like why you have to meet your emotions is because. Yeah. You know, otherwise you will. Like, it's very rare to, like, leave the table your absolute high point. Yeah. You know? So for you, it's like, you know, when you're playing, you can't be celebrating. It's like Kenny Rogers said, you know, you can't count your money, you know, yeah. while you're sitting at the table, right? And there's a yeah. reason why he said that is because, you know, if you're doing that, you know, you're like, you know, maybe you're afraid to bluff in this Unless spot. you're leaving. <laughs> Don't yeah. count that shit. Yeah. But, like, even if you are leaving, it's like, you know, poker's one long session. Like, it right, never right, ends. Right, like, right. when you're playing Tomorrow's for... Tomorrow's next day. Yeah, like, when you're playing for a living, it's like, look, if you're playing blackjack or you're playing recreationally, then, yeah, like, it, you know, just lock up a win when you want. But, like... When you're playing for, you know, and I talk about this in there, you know, when you're playing for a living, it's like it never ends. So, like, you actually shouldn't leave when you're winning because when you're winning, other people have to be losing. Right. Right. And they're going to play worse when they're losing. You're going to play better when you're winning. So it's kind of like, you know, one of those things where you actually it's the opposite. It's not like the blackjack strategy. When you're when you're winning, you should just kind of fucking extend the session yeah. until you feel like you're not playing optimal. It's like trading. Because like, I'm more into crypto now, but it's the same thing like trading, right? Because if you if you close the trade too soon, the same thing. You leave money on the table yeah. or you wait too long and you're down. It's kind of like the same thing as far as that goes, I think, a little bit. Yeah, well, it's yeah, similar in the sense that like, yeah, you're just like just because you cash out today doesn't mean you might not lose tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, it's like it, it keeps going. So, yeah, I mean, it, trading and gambling have similarities. I mean, because trading is gambling to a, certain, same, yeah. Yeah, to a certain degree, right? So, I mean, gambling – you know, people look at gambling and it's like, oh, you know, that's crazy. You're risking this. But it's like everybody's betting. Like if you own a house, you're fucking betting right. that your house is going to go up in value. Like if you, you know, if, if you pay off your mortgage, you're betting that, you know, you're going to, you know, that your house is going to appreciate and that you couldn't do something with that money that would yield you more than the 2% that you're going to pay the bank. I mean, if you keep all your money in U.S. dollars, you're betting in the U.S. dollar instead of having a basket of currency. Like, there's all sorts of things. Like, whatever you do, even if you think you're being conservative, you're still betting on something. Mm -hmm. You know, you're betting that your bank isn't going to fail. You're betting that the U.S. dollar is going to do well, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, like, everybody's betting. Like, life is all calculated risk. And you were also in the infamous uh, Molly's Game, which they made a movie about. That's super cool. What was that like? And then uh, Player X. Do you, you didn't Tobey Maguire? You, you, okay, I was gonna. You didn't mention that in the book, though, did you? Uh, well, he was in the lawsuit with the Bradley Ruderman uh -huh. um, lawsuit, and I, I mentioned it briefly because I, I said that he played. Is like it a, official out or no? 
I mean, it, dude, other than what you just said right now, is it, has it been confirmed that it's Tobey Maguire or no? I mean, I I confirm it. Well, I, I, <laughs> I know you are there. now. Yeah. I know it's rumors that he's the yeah. number one like candidate. No, no, but, he, that's who but, it is. But I know from you now, he, it yeah. is Tobey Maguire. Okay, cool. Yeah, she was cool about that. She didn't want to like sell anybody out. I don't give a fuck because you know, <laughs> I, I didn't really like the guy that much, to be honest. Um, but, okay, so it's official. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she was cool. I, I liked her, man. She was really sharp. Like she she actually kicked me out of her game. I mean, not like. <laughs> Not like in the middle of it, but like she stopped inviting me back because she realized I was, you know, going to bankrupt those fucking guys. Um, but it was interesting because I actually like helped her write the first chapter of her book. And then later I found out about like that whole mob thing where she got fucking yeah. like robbed at gunpoint. And it was like a whole, it was a crazy thing, man. But yeah, I was like in the middle of all that stuff. I got sucked into the Bradley Ruderman lawsuit. I mean, I remember him coming to the table. It was just like the fuck is this guy like he doesn't even know like what beats what like i mean the, the movie was actually really really well done yeah. because it was super accurate yeah like it was really fucking accurate and the, and the and the girl that they got to play her talked like her acted like her i mean it was like it was pretty impressive man it was like one of the very few movies where i was like wow like that was pretty close yeah you know so yeah yeah it's, it's a good movie and it's good to to hear the in, insight but it was it was uh, at a house or no? So I, I went over there and it was at the Four Seasons, Beverly oh, okay. Hills, and like went in, you know, six seven thousand dollar a night suite, and it was you know hot chicks and cocktail dresses, every yeah. kind of alcohol you could ever want, and, you know, sushi, a full fucking buffet. I mean, it was like it was done right. Like she ran a good game. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the night, you know, you tipped her like three to five percent if you wanted to get a seat back. Um, the suckers didn't really have to, but they tip probably more than anybody um a lot of the guys are trying to fuck her and you know she was you know good at like you know just kind of reading a room flirting just enough you know yeah. keeping people's attention but she never really like fucked any of the guys but she made them kind of like stay interested and like she had dirt on most of these motherfuckers <laughs> like banging chicks while they had wives or whatever yeah. so like if they didn't want to pay like yeah. she had that fucking ace Definitely. in the hole she was smart man she was yeah. smart and she ran a good game and uh yeah, I made a little bit of money in it, and then uh, that was that was it. I remember I was um, I was renting a red Ferrari at the time, and I met her at Mister Chow's, and I was like all proud pulling up in this fucking thing, you know. And she uh, she pulled up in her Bentley, and she kind of like gave me shit about it, and like oh the red Ferrari, huh? And I was like oh, fuck, it just really like, took the wind out of my sails. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Um, and then going back to Toby, so one of Toby's friends, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm a segue in using that. Um, you, you told a story about. Uh, I'm still chilled from the fucking jacuzzi. I know. I've Holy just shit, finally warmed up. I, I've finally warmed up. I um, feel like I'm actually like speaking coherently now, and I'm not like slurring. <laughs> but anyway, you got. So you, you talked about a story with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Justin Bieber. Complete opposite stories. Yeah. Um, the Justin Bieber story. Um, does he know about that or did you tell him you're going to write that in the book or and, oh, no. and, and how do you think he's going to react when he when he when he sees that because <laughs> oh. he's, he's a little different now than <laughs> i just i don't know man i had to tell my story you know i thought it was funny and like you know i wasn't like trying to be it's not that bad but i mean yeah, he, no. he's just a lot different now you know so. yeah no i'm sure i mean and i wasn't trying to be name drop it's just like for me you know, you have to understand, like, I was a normal guy, you know? Like, I, I, I wasn't a guy that, like, grew up fucking playing in a band right, expecting right, right. to be famous or any of this stuff. So, like, I never thought that I'd be rubbing shoulders with these fucking people. 
And so, you know, when I'm getting my dick sucked in my closet and I look over and this fucking A-list celebrity that I, like, grew up watching his fucking movies is, like, getting his dick sucked with his fucking sunglasses on. Like, that's, like, a kind of a crazy moment, right? Yeah. Like, in your life. Because it's him. Like, if it was some fucking random guy, like, it, yeah. you know what I mean? It'd just be like, get this fucking guy out of my closet. But it's, since it's, like, this big celebrity that, like, yeah. you watch all his movies, it's, like, a different thing. So you kind of have to mention those things because they're, like, milestones. I mean, it's just something that... You know, when you grow up watching a guy's movies, you don't expect to be getting your dick sucked next to him in your closet, right? Like, yeah. there's just things. And, like, you don't expect to, like, get Justin Bieber laid. You know, it's like there's just things that, yeah. like, you don't expect to happen. And so when those happen, you know, and you're writing your fucking autobiography, like, I think you have to probably mention that, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, you, you mentioned closets a lot. But uh, what people don't know that hasn't been to your house is you have huge closets. So it's like... Your closet is like a fucking master bedroom. So it's <laughs> well, like it's not like you're in this little tight closet next Well, that one know. wasn't as big. So that was that was when I was living on Blue Jay. Oh, um, okay. and it was, you know, the only reason we ended up in the closet was because my room had basically like turned into the the VIP room and it was like so fucking crowded that if you wanted to bang or get your dick sucked and you didn't want like fucking 80 people like fucking watching you, it was like the closet was kind of the thing and so um, you know, as, as I took more GHB, I didn't give a fuck. And I was like banging on the bed and there's the fucking, you know, a whole bunch of people around. But like in the beginning of the night, yeah, we used the closet. So, and you passed out from GHB. That's kind of dangerous. When? Which time? I thought you said you passed out or you stumbled or you were, you had to recover. Last night, or, last night or last night? I mean, book? Book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, last night I was, like, trying to, trying to, to, like, I hadn't done G in a long time. I was just, like, trying to get into, like, deep sleep. Um, so I mean, like, in your book you said you, you passed out from it. That oh, no, I really blacked dangerous. out. I blacked yeah. out. I, my head hit the fucking table. That was at my first party, man. So, like, yeah. I had just moved into the L.A. place, and I'd thrown this crazy party at Marshmallow DJ and all these fucking chicks. It was, like, 500 girls and less than 50 dudes, and yeah. it's like, this fucking great party, and I was, like, stoked on it, and, yeah, man, I just blacked out before even fucking midnight like i don't even think i watched marshmallow perform i was like head hit the table security <laughs> fucking dragged me down to my room i like wake up i think i'd like piss myself like i fucking threw up on the goddamn it was just like fucking i had a cut on my nose i got a picture of it but yeah a big cut on my nose I just felt like such a fucking idiot man and i had like all these text messages um and yeah, that was the first party I threw when I was in LA. I just like, yeah, missed the whole thing. I didn't fuck a single girl. <laughs> yeah. It's like my only party. Rough night for you. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you throw a party like that, you expect you at least get yeah. laid, right? But yeah. And I want to get into the parties in a second, but um, you, you spent some time doing some Hollywood stuff. Everyone's dream is to be an actor and, and uh, you know, be famous that way or whatever. What's your take on, on Hollywood? Because you had your run at that. You did Lone Survivor, amongst other things. Olympus, well, Olympus has fallen, or, or yeah. the White House. Whatever, whatever yeah, those let's as well. let's not overhype the acting career. I mean, had some like little. Moments. But I'm just saying, what was your overall take hanging out in that group and being on set? I um, take it it wasn't your cup of tea. It wasn't your type of people. No, I just wasn't good at it. Is that what it was? Yeah, like I really wasn't a good actor. I and mean, you had to take direction again. And as we learned in Buds, well, <laughs> you're not very good at that either. Well, I actually. <laughs> this think is why I, I put myself up as my own boss as well. Like I don't like you, taking directions either. I actually think I like took direction pretty decently in in, in buds, but I, you know, yeah, I've never been a guy that wanted to like yeah. follow the rules. <laughs> I, I tell. you know, I just. Uh, but that wasn't my issue with acting. My issue with acting was I just man, it was just very hard for me to just really like get into that character and be 
you know, super comfortable. I never really had big roles either. Um, and I was doing so much at the time, man. I was like gambling. I wanted to fuck chicks. Right, it was just like right, kind right. of like one of those things. You was didn't like a need bucket to do list. It. No. And I looked at it like, man, like I'd have to really get good at this. And I had to star in a movie and I have to do all Be this shit. Star. And then maybe I make like 15 million bucks for four fucking months and all this shit. And then I have to wait a year for it to come out. Right. And I'm like, that's the top of the mountain, you know? Like, so I want to like spend all this time to like maybe make fucking 10 million bucks. Yeah. Like, no, I could do that in fucking two weeks, you know, playing yeah. this guy, you know, fucking coked out of his mind, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Right. So I, I don't know. Like, it just was one of those things where. You know, I, I thought it was cool. Um, I, I always wanted to do it. I, I did the movies more just to like, because I've always been a movie buff, and so I wanted to kind of like see that side of it. And it was it was cool. It was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. Um, but yeah, I mean, my uh, I think I think probably the highlight of my acting career was when I did Equalizer, and I had that death scene with Denzel, and I think I did actually like a really good job. And he said, he's like, he's like, that was a fucking really good take, nice. or that was a, you know, a good death, or something. Good person like, to say that. Yeah, I was like, fuck. Dan. He's like, he's like, like one of my favorites. Yeah, he's dude. He's like one of the best ever. And so, his son's yeah. good too. No, he's yeah, he's a fucking G. So I was like, damn, that felt good, and I never forgot that moment. I was like, wow, just like one little sentence from this guy, you know, and it's like stuck with me you know, my whole life. And so that's kind of like one of the reasons why, like, anytime anybody ever asks me for a picture or whatever, like I always like yeah. take the you time, yeah. you know, I every time. I don't, I, I, dude, I've fucking said no to like, you know, handful of pictures my whole fucking life. I mean, I've taken probably a fucking million goddamn photos. Um, but yeah, it's just like, man, it's just, you know, whatever, five seconds of your time. And if it makes that person fucking stoked or whatever, then what the fuck like you're kind of an asshole not to do it not to get off subject but speaking of that this just came out in the news but uh so conor mcgregor apparently went and asked mgk for a photo and mgk said no and pushed conor but yeah. then it later came out that conor was dming uh his girl or something like that so i don't know i don't know the full story but they almost got in a fight yeah. and connor's like trying to punch mgk I saw something you see about that, that? yeah kind of crazy like he right a drink at him or something yeah, connor's losing his fucking mind what, what is your take on connor i mean uh, obviously he earned he earned where he got he changed the sport he did a lot but he's I've got falling mixed, off fast i've got mixed emotions on him and you know i, I try not to ever like judge somebody that yeah, I haven't here. met, you know, because I know there's like a whole online persona and there's who they are. Until you walk in their shoes, right? Exactly. You know, so um, with respect to MGK, just like, well, I'll touch on that first and then I'll go to Connor. I mean, MGK has always been like a really nice guy to me. So I met him at your party, actually. He's always been like super, a Halloween party. super nice dude. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. So it just it's it, it seems very out of character. If there wasn't like some kind of underlying yeah. beef for He's him to say chill. no to a photo, super chill, yeah, yeah, like super nice. Like I've never had any issue with him, ever. He's been to all my parties, like always been fucking cool. So it, I would be very surprised if Connor just went up to him and said, "Hey, can I have a photo?" And he's like, "Fuck off." That yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. seem like him, right? So you know, then so I don't know. I don't know why Connor flipped out. Um, I will say Connor's been amazing at being a hype man and i've never seen like self-promotion on his yeah. level ever like he's talked the shit he's backed it up he's 
had some speeches at press conferences that I thought were fucking hilarious. Like yeah. there was one where he's talking about like riding in a village on a horse or something like yeah. and killing like their whole tribe. Like if this was back in the day, or, um, I, you know, I don't remember what exactly it was, but he was like, says something like, you know, talking about how, you know, if this was back in the day, like I would have come into your village and I would have killed you. It was just really funny. Anyway, yeah. so. He's been a great hype man. He's backed this shit up. I think he's been pretty smart in business. Um, obviously, he's made a bunch of money on his alcohol. He made a ton of money on the fucking Floyd fight. You know, I, I respect his business accomplishments. Um, his Instagram stuff seems a little strange to me. You know, like, it's kind of like he, he and Floyd kind of like have some similarities yeah. there where it's like, these dudes are so fucking rich. Yeah. And they're like posting like, thousand dollar tennis shoes like it's i don't get it right like you know so he seems like kind of like you know a little uh, like they're just strange brags right like the guy's got a lot of money i know he does it's like why are we like flexing on fucking louis vuitton straws yeah 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 but i don't know man i'm not you know i'm not gonna talk shit i i think you know i guess i think overall like i i've been very impressed with the guy i'm not one of those people that like he loses a fight and i like stop being a fan right, of course of course you know like it, you know i i'm not fucking short-sighted i don't look at like the end of somebody's career and judge them by it look at the whole thing and what he's done in the sport has been fucking amazing he's probably been like one of the best fighters for the ufc ever um so you know i don't know i you know uh, that's my take on Connor. You know, yeah. I, I'm impressed with what he's done. He's made a fucking shitload of money. Um, he's kind of a fucking blue collar guy that's made fucking crazy bread. And, uh, you know, and I think now he wants to kind of like be the Hollywood celebrity thing, you know? So, so you can answer this unlike anyone else, but um, a lot of people, I don't think they understand like the Tyson, the Floyd Mayweather, and, and Floyd may have a ton of money, but it's always speculative that he's losing his money. And then Connor as well, if he doesn't fight, is going to be starting to go down. Yeah. These guys that are super rich, how hard is it to down, downgrade your lifestyle? Because people think if you're super rich, oh, he's fine. He can just, you yeah. know, whatever, and he'll be fine forever. But I'm thinking, like, if you're super rich and you're used to this lifestyle and you're, you're fighting, you're making money, you have all this money coming in, any downgrade is embarrassing, right? Like, it, well, it, it's almost detrimental more than someone who's poor and has to downgrade, you know? 100%. So let's let's talk about Floyd first. Um, Floyd is a guy that, you know, he's not even in the same league as – I mean, the guy's made over right. a, billion a billion dollars. Yeah. Like, without, any, without any sponsorships. Fucking Pure crazy. from the sport. The only man ever he, – he's the only man to ever make a billion dollars from sports. Yeah, not which is fucking super impressive, yeah. amazing. Hats off to the guy. Um you know, I think he's probably got a bad manager um, because when you make that much money, you should never be in financial trouble. Right. And look, I don't know his finances. I, I just was told that when he took the Connor fight that he was struggling or that he owed the IRS money. That could just be total bullshit. Yeah. So maybe it is. I don't know. I, I do know that he is a fucking super generous guy and he's got a shitload of people on his payroll. Like I think he had like 350 people that he wow. was like paying full-time salaries, which will drain your fucking yeah, money yeah, very yeah. fast. <laughs> and I don't know how much he looks over his contracts. I, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I, I would say this. I would say he has made way too much fucking money to be like doing Fashion Nova ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or yeah. like, you know, it's just crazy. And I know he's made fucking crazy bread. Like, I think on the Logan Paul fight, he made $120 million yeah. just on that alone, right? He made like $30 million just on a crypto thing that he put on his 
shorts. Yeah. I mean, so he's made fucking amazing money. I, I don't know. I don't, some of the things that he does, I don't understand. But, you know, I, so I don't know. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know how much money he has. I don't know, like, what the incentive would be to be doing, like, ads. If I was him, I'd be like, fuck all you guys. I know, like, one time he was doing a club appearance where he spent more money on the jet fuel in the hotel <laughs> than the club. <laughs> they paid him. And he doesn't drink. So I don't, yeah. maybe he did get a pussy. I don't know. I mean, look, I, he's a super nice dude. I love Floyd. I, I mean, every time I've met him, he's been fucking super cool to me. He's welcomed me into his gym. Um, he's made fucking crazy money. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe he's got bad. If he if he has money problems, I, I don't think he does. But if he does, then it has to be bad management because he has not personally spent a billion dollars, right? So, like, granted, like, taxes take some and managers get, but whatever. He hasn't spent 500 fucking million dollars. Like, he's not blown that money. So, if there is some, if he has financial problems, it's his management. Right. It's not him. But if it is, and he has had, and, because and, and, I don't know, I don't know his finance, but if he has had financial problems multiple times, eventually it lands on him, right? Because, like, if you, you know, if, yeah. you, if you go, you know, like in the hole or you're you know close to not having big money and you go back to having a bunch of money and then you go back there then that's on you the first time management whatever but like but i don't know like i said you know news is all bullshit yeah. you know it's just clickbait right like what would get and he could uh, be selling a fight you know yeah like it, which he does look he like does. he's desperate so maybe he's weak he's gonna his first loss or something yeah i don't know you know and I, he, I don't think he manages a social so like maybe it's his bodyguards trying to make some money here who knows man i don't know you know but He's he's made a crazy amount of money. But have you seen people at that highest level have to downgrade their life and how hard that was? Because for, for I think, poker players, fighters, actors, anyone in, in entertainment especially, um, when you stop getting that big chunk of money coming in, right, it's hard to live, especially when you're 30, 40 years old and you got 20, 30, 40 years to go. Well, I think cash a, flows in business is where you get your money from. Yeah, I think a bigger part of it is like how much of your identity has been built on the money, right? True. Like Floyd Money true, Mayweather true, is true, like true. a lot of his identity is tied to money. So for him, you know, if, if he were to like down the road, you know, not have as much money, I think that would bother him because of like, you know, he's... I think attached a lot of like his success and his persona to the money. And I know the money is very valuable to him because he talks about it a lot. So if he were to, you know, if he were to, you know, half the downgrade or whatever, I think it would probably be much more difficult than, you know, somebody else. But look, for anybody to downgrade is the hardest fucking thing. Like you have a poor guy living like a poor guy. It's no big deal. Like right. when I was poor in the military, I was probably happier than fucking being rich later and it didn't matter. And like little things gave you significantly more pleasure than big things did in other situations, right? right? Like like Outback Steakhouse when I was in the military. That's probably a bad example because Outback still kicks ass. But anyways, <laughs> when I was in the military, that was like a fucking 10, you yeah. know? And like if I just, you know, even going to the movies was like a plus, you know, like fucking just little shit. Like it didn't take a lot to give you like that, like – pulse of the pleasure whereas later you know i'd buy a ferrari and it wouldn't even make me happy for a day you know so i think it, it's just all where your baseline it gets set and within like a you know six months max like you get used to any situation so if you're used to the best of the best then it's like kind of hard to get like pleasure pulses because like going from the best of the best like where do you go right yeah. but like when you're at the bottom like any little thing gives you that pleasure uptick so 
you know, for for a poor guy, like he's really got nothing to lose. But for a rich guy, that like now that's his baseline. If he goes below that, everything's gonna make him miserable. Like driving a fucking Toyota Camry. If he was driving a yeah, Bentley, he's yeah. gonna be like, "What the fuck is this thing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, living in a big ass house and having every amenity. But the biggest thing is staff. Yeah. Like if you were to lose staff, that would be a fucking because like having the chefs and all this stuff mm-hmm. like. That's the stuff that, you know, is really much better than, like, the cars and all this stuff, you know. It's, like, having, like, really great meals, like, not having to do shit, like, having your assistant deal, you know, with all the bullshit, having your own jet, like, being able to do whatever the fuck you want, like, the freedoms. Yep. That's the stuff that I think, you know, kind of hurts, you know. going Like, if you had to fly commercial after you owned a jet, like, fuck, man, that's kind of a kick in the nuts, you know. I don't know. that I wouldn't know, but. Well, we're going to Maldives. Yeah, I get to, I get <laughs> so, to, take, I get to take your jet next and then tomorrow, right? We're going yeah. to Maldives tomorrow. Yeah, maybe push it a day. We'll see. I so, fucking love this place, man. But unfortunately, I have to go back to commercial after I get off your jet because I don't have a jet, so. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. Mike Swick, he's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, AKA Thailand, is incredible. There's people here from all over the world. You can train mixed martial arts here, jujitsu. They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything. telling you guys i know everybody wants to go to thailand because thailand's so cool but you can't come to thailand without coming to aka thailand come on what was the big difference from you went you, you described it very well in your book but the d- big difference of living your lifestyle and then starting ignite and having to be on that schedule and and now build a brand while trying to still do the same things, which kind of worked, right? Because you built the brand off of your life and doing those things. But how much of a transition was that for you to have to to have that schedule and, and deal, deal with so many new people and constantly be promoting something versus just living your life and having fun? Yeah, I mean, it was... The schedule, the schedule was kind of, you know, that wasn't a big deal. I kind of like structured my own thing. But it was kind of, it was like having that, you know, need to one up yourself consistently and then dealing with like the, you know, cause every, I just, I, I, you know, I wanted to keep going. Like when you're, when you're doing anything, like you look at a lot of these billionaires, like why is this guy still working? It's because like climbing that ladder feels better than sitting at the top of the right. mountain. So you kind of want like whatever I'm doing, I want to like keep going. Right. So like when I started the ignite thing, I wanted to like, you know, promote promote like you know and everybody liked the lifestyle so it's like okay let's fucking take it up a notch let's take this up a notch let's you know more girls bigger house bigger boat like all this stuff let's just keep fucking going and what i did is i just ended up in a spot where it was like i actually found like too much i actually you know like okay there was too many fucking girls it's like because you know in the past it's like okay you go on vacation with three chicks you get to fuck three chicks that's cool Mm -hmm. go on vacation with five chicks you get to fuck you know maybe five chicks whatever so it's like more is definitely better you know bigger boat usually better so it's like you know you and, and and that's the same thing as like you know in the military like all these little things like pleasure spikes so when i got to that level then 
I didn't get those pleasure spikes. And I noticed that like when I had too many girls, it it was not, not only was it not better, but it was actually worse. It was just like I was being pulled in more directions. So it was a, you know, it was a negative. So I think that was the hard part is like feeling like I had a lot of pressure to like perform, you know, all these eyes were on me. Like before I was just like, I'll go on vacation because I want to go on vacation. Now it's like, I kind of wanted to like, you know, promote the brand and showcase the lifestyle and do some fun shit and one up my last thing. And mm-hmm. so like towards the end, I got to a spot where it was like, I was almost doing this stuff like out of obligation instead of like doing it cause I wanted to. And like when I was initially doing the Instagram stuff, it was like bucket list items, man. I was like, okay, like I want a Lambo. I want to buy a Lambo. Now I want to take that Lambo to the racetrack. I want to race it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we bring all the friends out to the racetrack. We're going to all fucking race. You know, and now I want to, you know, go to this place. With Sam, and, especially. Yeah. Like he was, he was fucking great. I would man. love to sit next to Sam when he's racing. Yeah. I mean, bro, he was, no, he was, that would have been <laughs> very fucking dangerous. He, he was such a hand grenade, man. Like, I got to get with him in a second and talk a little bit more, but um, real fast. So Ignite, how's Ignite doing? I know you're expanding now and trying to keep going global. Yeah. How's everything going past the book? Really like, good. Like we just, um, I mean, today it's worth over half a billion dollars. So it's been doing really fucking good. Nice. We've been, you know, crushing it with vape sales. Um, each quarter that we put out just keeps beating the last quarter. So um, I can't say too much because it's a public company, but everything, you know, that I can tell you is, you know, public information. And so, cool. yeah, I'm excited, man. It was like, you know, COVID hit us and really fucked up our supply chain. We like, you know, a lot of stuff was stuck in, in, uh, in China. And then we got like a ton of fucking bad press. It was just like all this shit. How was it dealing with that? And then, and, and following that, like for people that don't have the money you have and the, and the mental fortitude that you have, what is your advice on, on dealing with negative criticism? Because everybody deals with it. You dealt with it a lot more, but it seems like you've conquered it. What, what is your advice on how to, how to deal with that kind of shit? Man, it's, it's, so, it's just so tough because like a lot of people, you know, couldn't even imagine dealing with it on such a scale, right? So I think it's, it's all relative and it just depends. I mean, if you're going to be in the public spotlight, you just have to understand that no matter what you do, it's going to come and block it out. That being said, like when it comes fucking, you know, crazy, it's not as easy said than, you know, or not as easy done as it is said. Right. But, um, I think it's one of those things where you just have to recognize, like, it's going to come with the territory, right? Like, if you're going to be a fighter, you're going to get punched, right? Yeah, you're going to yeah. be a celebrity, you're going to have shit talk. Like, it's just one of those things where, you know, careful what you wish for, you know? Like, if you're going to be fucking promoting yourself on social media, if you're going to be out there, if you're going to be on a TV show, whatever, just, like, know that that's going to come. Yeah. And just, like, accept it up front because there's nothing you can do about it. And so, you know, just I, I would say, you know, just don't get like fucking caught up in the comments. Don't be reading this stuff. I mean, I think somebody sent me something the other day that was pretty funny. It was like when the quarter pounder came out, this other burger company came out with the one third pound (laughs) and it was like cheaper, but it fucking failed because people didn't realize that a third of a pound was bigger than a quarter pound. (laughs) So it's like, this is why I don't argue with people on the internet. You know, it's it's one of those things where, like, the people talking shit, man, a lot of these motherfuckers, they can't even speak English. They're, like, out of their fucking mom's basement. They're a bunch of angry virgins, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you just, you know, you got to just ignore it, honestly. It's the only, only way to do it. And it was just tough for me because I was, like, writing my book at the time. I wasn't, you know, it's easy when you're traveling and you're fucking chicks and you're doing all this stuff. It's like... You don't even fucking pay attention. But, like, when you're locked in a house and you're editing your book and, you know, like, 
you're not traveling and there's COVID and there's all this other shit going on. It's like that. I probably got hit like at the worst time. And I got hit with like such a fucking barrage too. And it was irritating because it was like hurting the stock. It was hurting the company. And so that's why it was like, you know, pissing me off. So yeah. we, you know, we got rid of the LA house and, you know, got a bunch of shit for that. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, he's renting his house. It's like, dude, I've rented every house I've ever had in L.A. Like, I never want to be a fucking California resident. Elon Musk, right? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I didn't even own a house. Like, since, yeah, since, like, 2011, I've rented, like, every fucking house I've ever had in L.A. Like, I've never wanted to be a Cali resident. Um, And so it's just funny. Wait, but you don't want to pay 60% tax? Bro. Or wear fucking (laughs) triple masks and fucking, you know, it's crazy. But... You know, it's one of those things where it was just funny because people are so short-sighted. Like, oh, yeah, Knight's funding his lifestyle. It's like, motherfucker, I've been doing this for 10 years. Like, I've been doing this, like, fucking for, like, eight years before I started Ignite. Like, I got famous, like, long before this. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's just funny, man. People are like, oh, Ignite's paying for everything. He's not really rich. It's, like, so weird. Remember, and it was, like, at a time when I had more money than I'd ever had before. <laughs> so I remember when that like, came out and people were like, oh, because it's public company, so your, your, your records are, are yeah. public. And someone's like, oh, Dan's going broke and Ignite's going broke. And I'm just thinking to myself, did you not know Dan before? Because, you know, he lived the same lifestyle without any Ignite and business or whatever you want to call it. He earned it. So it's like, if anything, he's downgraded, like to try to make this business, you know. Yeah, it was it was very strange. It was like it it was it was really strange. All the all like the press that came out like. You know, he's fleeing the country. He's, like, going to be a re- – it's just, like, it's so fucking strange. And it's like, oh, he lost $50 million. It's like, motherfucker, Uber lost $5 billion in yeah, a quarter. Yeah, exactly, you know what exactly. I'm saying? Like, literally in one yep, quarter they lost, like, $5 billion fucking example. dollars. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't been profitable since day one. It's like when you start a company and you're building a brand, like – Usually you're spending more money than you're making, you know, and in the long run, you're going to fucking, you know, have a bunch of fucking sales and you're going to get the shelf space. But like establishing a brand like like I don't think people realize like what big brands spend on marketing. It's like fucking crazy. And they're in debt. There's a lot of profitable big brand companies that are still in debt. They have loans out, but they pay the they pay the note on the loans. And they're profitable. People yeah. don't get that, right? I mean, if you look at, like, Tesla's fucking value, I mean, it's just, like, so many of these companies, you know, it's, it's it's crazy. But I don't think people understand business. You know, they don't, like, understand how it works. Like, oh, he lost $50 million. He's yeah, in yeah. debt. He's going <laughs> yeah. broke. It's like, what the it's fuck? It's just clickbait headlines. Yeah, th- but that's the thing is it gets clicks and it works. So I, I understand why they do it. It's just sad that, like, our media has, like, regressed to a point of like the only thing they're worried about is like can we get people to click on this article not like can we report a good story can we tell the news it's like no can we get clicks and you know it's like you look at a lot of this press and it's almost all the stuff that that they post is like can we generate negative emotion and not just with me i'm just talking about like in general like whether it's you know like criticizing whatever president we have or whatever this it's just all negative 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 because that elicits the strongest response. And mm. so many times I've seen a fucking news article and I've like gotten upset and I had to stop myself. It's like, wait, like get the full fucking story, right. you know, and then we can be upset about it, you know, if it's the case. Like I remember there's one this one guy and he got he he a cop shot him in the back and that was like the headline, like white cop shoots black guy, you know, whatever. And I so I watched the whole thing. Like initially I was like, you know, pissed off, like, oh another this fucking shit, you know, what the fuck? But I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch it. 
I watched the whole 50-minute thing. This guy's, like, in the fucking KFC or whatever drive-thru, passed the fuck out, like, in the, like hammered. Cop pulls up, knocks on the window. Like, nicer than any cop's ever been to me in my fucking life, right? <laughs> cop's like, hey, can you pull over here? The guy, like, pulls over, hops the fucking curb, goes into the grass, jams it in reverse, goes back over the curb. Like, you know, it's just hammered, right? Cop goes over, like, super nice, like, asks him all these questions, like, how many drinks have you had? He's like, oh, only one drink. I had a margarita. Then, like, two minutes later, it was a fucking daiquiri. You know, like, yeah. couldn't remember where he was. Didn't know what city he's in. Like, his story was that his girl came in another car, put him in that car, but he hadn't even been driving the car, but that it was just nonsense, right? So this cop is, like, the more most patient cop I've ever seen. And then finally, like, after he fails the fucking thing and he's going to arrest him, the guy, like, attacks him, grabs his taser, shoots him with his fucking taser. Oh, shit. And it's like, to me, man, like, this cop is not signing up for the fucking UFC. Like, yeah, granted, like, you're going to have to get into some altercations. But, like, they get paid 60 grand a year. Like, part of their job is not to, like, get fucking tased, get attacked, whatever. Like, granted, it's going to happen. But, like, when you attack a cop, you have to expect a negative outcome. Like, right, right. if I punch a cop or grab for his gun or his taser and shoot him with his fucking taser and I get shot, I'm not going to be whining about it. I don't expect anybody to be fucking crying for me. Like, if I flee the fucking scene and I'm, like, ditching the cops, like, okay, like, big balls, like, respect. But if something happens to you, like, don't be whining about it. You made that like, decision. Like, yeah, like, if you fucking flee the police and you get away, like, okay, man, like, you put your nuts on the table and you got away with it. But if you don't you get shot, like okay, like, you fucking deserved it, man. Like, you fucking, you know, you're fleeing the police. You're attacking a cop, whatever. Like, there's consequences. And so, yeah, man, I don't know. It's, uh, but like I said, you know, it's like the news is about triggering people. Yeah. And going back to the Ignite thing, the thing that pissed me off the most about uh, when that bad press came out was you didn't have to do that, right? So you actually wanted to create a company which actually serviced people and gave people a product and did something for people. Yeah. And then they criticize that. It's like, you, well, this plus, man didn't have to do this. This well, man could have just. Let's talk about the headlines too. You like know, the ignites you, you actually created Dan, something for people, and then they bash you for it. Well, you know, or the headline like Dan, you know, ignites paying Dambozer's credit card. You know, he's a renter. He's broke. That's like I put thirty million dollars into ignite. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. after you know what I'm saying? Like I, you know, like I don't know. It's just uh, it's a crazy thing. But like I said, man, you know, it's the news today. You know, you, yeah. but you know that was like I think one of the most positive things that Trump did was he really like shined a spotlight on the fact that, you know, so much of this stuff is bullshit. It's propaganda. It's whatever, yep. you know, so. Yeah. And then your parties, I want to just talk about that really fast. Um, was that your idea? The ignite parties? Cause yeah. to, to me, that was the greatest parties ever. The, the Halloween party I went to was the, the insane. I mean, Puff Daddy was there, MGK. I was standing, you know, you go in your door to the left of the bathroom there. I was standing in the bathroom line and Ludacris was like behind me. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? And the funniest part was watching A-list celebrities walk around your house in awe. Like, 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 what the fuck? You know, and these are like A-list celebrities looking at your house. No, it was great, man. It was like, you know, everything had a purpose, you know? Yeah. Like I went out great to parties. LA and I was like, you know what? We're going to fucking make some noise. Like I knew what the Playboy Mansion did for, you know, Playboy. And I was like, okay, we're going to replicate this. We're going to do it on a bigger level. I actually looked into buying Playboy, um, but they just, they wanted too much for the, for the brand and whatever. So, you know, I was like, I'm just going to 
do this better. And, you know, part of this is going to be throwing the parties, having the crazy ratio. Like, I always had my parties, and this was back since, like, 2012. Or, like, if you went to my party and you were a guy and you wanted to get laid, you were going to fucking get laid. And you were going to get, like, aggressively laid. It wasn't like you were just going to, like, wander in there and maybe get your dick sucked in the bathroom. Like, you were going to be fucking at least one or two. Like, because it was, like, 300 girls and 30 guys, right? So, like... Girls get horny just like guys do, you know? And so, like, when they have to compete for a guy's attention, it's a different deal. You know, like, when they go to a bar and, like, a bunch of guys hit on them, like, they can go to bed feeling good. But, like, if nobody pays them attention, like, they got to, like, find a guy to, like, feel okay about themselves. And so, like, and the guys that were at these parties were legit guys. I mean, they're, you know, producers, they're, you know, actors, whatever, you know, just buddies of mine, successful guys. They weren't, you know, just fucking random dudes. So they knew that if these guys were at the party, that you know, they were, you know, at least somewhat fucking cool. So, yeah, it was crazy, man. You could get wheeled in on a goddamn wheelchair and get laid at these things. And yeah. that was the goal was to just create an environment where, like, and that's how I envisioned the Playboy Mansion when I was a kid. It's like if I could get in there, like, I yeah. could get laid, you know? And so, yeah. like, I wanted that fantasy to be a reality for, you know, people, and that's what I did. Well, you've, done, you've been to a lot of parties, and I'm sure you've been to some huge ones with billionaires and everything else. Did you put on the best parties? I mean, was that the – yeah, I haven't been to any better than those. So, uh, yeah, was that was that the best parties you've been to as well that uh, you put on? Like unequivocally, so you I mean, know. And I've been even to some... the guards with machine guns and shit all around. That was fucking crazy. To me, it was always about the girls. You know, like I like I'm people talk about going to the club to like dance or like I went to the club to get laid. Right. That's the only reason. Just like if I went to a casino, I was going to a casino to gamble. <laughs> like I, you know what I'm saying? Like I had a, I had a reason. Like if I was going to a party, I was going there to get laid, and so. You know, for me, like, I've been to some parties that had, you know, probably as many A-list celebrities. You know, it just depends on how you judge a party. Like, some people just want to, like, schmooze or they want to be around important people or whatever. And I think from that standpoint, it was as good as any I've been to. But, like, to me, the real judge of a party is the hot girls, you know. And so I think that – I mean, I know. I've never even heard of a party that had – I mean, maybe Playboy back in the day, but, like – modern day nobody threw a better party than that because like getting that many hot girls in in that sort of an event was tough you know like i had fucking top fucking djs you know i had big celebrities you know i i brought in the things that the girls would want at a party because you can't just throw a bunch of fucking girls in with no guys and expect them to stay there all night so we had entertainment just like at you know my initial pool parties we had masseuses mani petties you know champagne it was like you know all the stuff that they would want and then for these parties, I mean, I had Cirque du Soleil performers. I had, you know, like I said, top DJs, you know, celebrities, you know, athletes, whatever. Like the things that, you know, girls are going to want. And it was exclusive. It was hard to get in. And then the venue, you know, I got the best house in L.A. for throwing parties. Yeah. And that Halloween party, Alessio was the DJ. And you had a Cirque du Soleil performance that I missed. Yeah. Like, how do you have a Cirque du Soleil performance in your house? And I actually missed it, and I was in your house. That's how big your fucking house was. I think I missed it too, man. Because they were getting ready in the kitchen kind of area, and you told me. And I missed the whole fucking show. Yeah. I asked you later, and you're like, oh, it already happened. I'm like, how did I miss a Cirque du Soleil show? Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was one of those things where you had (laughs) to have like 3,000 people just to make the house feel like it wasn't empty, you know? And so we had multiple levels, and... I felt like it was a great Gatsby. Like you're like you were like the, the Hollywood great Gatsby. I feel like that in the sense that I was like barely there at my parties. 
You know, like I, I didn't even see, like I wasn't there for Cardi B's performance. You know, I was like, <laughs> that too. Yeah, I was like, it was too crowded. It's like, fuck this. I went in my room and there's, you know, a bunch of chicks there. And so I was like, hung out and ended up having a fucking orgy and didn't even come out. Like I didn't like exit my room for the rest of the party. And then there was the first party that I blacked out like a loser. Um, but like most of my parties, like there was a lot of people that would come to my parties and be like, is he a real person? Like, where's Dan? Like, I'm, you know, it's like, kind of like a where's Waldo thing. Like, can they find me? And I was usually like tucked off. Um, or it'd be, you know, like banging chicks or whatever. But I was like, I wasn't really like out and about too much. Cause you know, I, I'm kind of like, I'm not like a super social guy. Like a lot of yeah. people think that I'm like this fucking super like Gregorious outgoing guy. And I'm just like, I don't really fucking like being around shitloads of people and crowds and all this stuff. And it actually kind of got exacerbated more with the fame stuff. And especially when you're throwing a party because, you know, now you're like the center. So, like, when I walk through a party, it's like all the fucking eyes are on me. People are filming, you know, girls ask for pictures and shit like that, which is cool. When you're getting laid, there's no better setup. There's no better situation than walking through and being the center of attention. It's just like, you know, that's the best thing you could imagine. So for getting laid and, you know, and I would be, you know, fucked up. And so I'm having a good time. It was fun. But I just... You know, I don't know. It's just not really out and about too much. And that's something people don't know about you is you are kind of a low-key guy. And, like, we've been having so much fun, just a couple of us going on a boat and diving all day. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, fuck, how is he having so much fun with all this life that he has, you know, and all these things that he does? But you're having the time of your life. I mean, it's just, like, four of us out there diving. That's the fun shit, man. Like, doing, doing, like, active, you know, stuff in the fucking sun and cool spots, like surfing, free diving, like, you know, snowboarding, whatever, like that sort of stuff to me. Cause I've, you know, fuck the chicks. I've done the stuff. I've had the fast, like all that stuff, fucking whatever to me. Like, but you know, free diving, you can, you know, you can stay down for longer. You can see new shit, you know, like with snowboarding, you're fucking ripping down the mountain. You're with your friends surfing. It's like every wave is different. You never know how the swell is going to be like, whatever. It's, it's, I don't know. And I like to be active and, you know, I'm a, you know, physical person. And so, that stuff makes me happier, you know? It yeah. makes me a lot happier than doing, like, the pleasure seek. Don't get me wrong. Like, I had a ton of fun fucking hot girls and racing cars and doing all that shit, too. But she's done it, like, a lot, you know? And so now, like, you know, I just, I go in phases, you know? Yeah. Like, right now, I'm, like, an active <laughs> fucking having fun, you know? And you're such a, a kind of low-key guy. I was so surprised you wrote a book because I'm like, he's going to have to talk a lot in the book. He's going to have to tell everything. And you did yeah. it. Like the insight you give and the raw and gritty, honest uh, take on everything is just, I recommend this book to everyone. Um, I want to say a big part of your book was about your buddy Sam, rest in peace, Uh, crazy, crazy dude. Give me one story that's going to get people to want to read more about Sam because he's all throughout this book and every single fucking story (laughs) is crazy. But give a little story just just in case they're on the edge about uh, reading the book, and and, uh, which I don't think they are, but... Talk a little bit about this guy, Sam, because, man, he's a character. It's, you know, it's hard to describe him. Like, I I had I did, like, a little cartoon, and you, I think you get a little bit of a feel there. But you'd almost have to see this guy. Um, he was just, like, such a anomaly. You know, he's, like, a racist black guy against other black guys, which is just, like, wait, what? Like, it, it, was, just, it was just crazy, man. Like, there's so many very eccentric things about him um, and how much fucking money he would blow. And it just nothing really made sense. Nobody could understand him. 
and then you know and then in the end you know you find out why it's yeah. like you know this guy had this like rare autoimmune disease or whatever and he basically made like 700 million dollars going long gold by you know, did all this fucking stock shit or whatever crazy He's leverage lived. it worked out made a ton of money found out that he had this you know disease moved to LA and you know with a basically a death sentence of 2 to 8 years and lived like a guy that you know there was fucking no tomorrow man and it was just like you know who the fuck puts tiger sharks in their pool? Like, I was you know, just say, like crazy. I was gonna say he he at least outlived the tiger sharks that he put in his pool. Yeah. <laughs> for you, <laughs> who does that? I mean, there's just so many things, man. Like so many fucking things with him. It's just you. That's you, a great story. Yes, you would go to his house, and it was just every time it was an adventure. You know, there'd be naked girls running around. He'd be fucking like shooting them with fucking baby oil, running around fucking shirtless. You know, while we're playing poker for hundreds of thousands of dollars, like. You know, this mound of cocaine on his side. I mean, just craziness, you know, just yeah. just every time, you know, it was just something nuts. And that's what I told people. I was like, listen, like, I'm not really that crazy of a guy. I'm just surrounded by fucking crazy people and nobody would ever believe me. And then they come into these situations and they'd be like, fuck, I see what you're talking about. You know, yeah. this guy's got a fucking potato gun shooting a glass dildo through his fucking plate glass <laughs> window at like three in the morning, like sending golf balls into fucking his neighbor's house like drives one right through fucking chairs out. yeah puts his face on a golf ball <laughs> then sends him into his fucking huh. neighbor's house at like two in the morning i mean just man craziness crazy yeah crazy. well the book is insane um it's a must read i have no doubt it's going to go to the new york times number one best-selling list um but i gotta ask you i gotta, I gotta end the podcast about fighting at least so i got you two questions first of all who are some of the fighters you've looked up to over the years and then what well, I'll just leave it with that first. Um since I can't talk Tyson. Tyson <laughs> was a good one. Um I mean, man, I grew up watching him. His fights were just so entertaining. I mean, he was you know, he's a guy that's five nine, five ten, and he's just fucking up the biggest dudes in the most gnarly way. And uh you know, there's not really like a there's not really any heavyweights or there hasn't been any heavyweights like that for a while, yeah. you know? And so Growing up, that was super fucking, you know, entertaining to watch his fights. And he was definitely um, one of the guys that I was always, like, you know, stoked about. Um, and then, all, and then like, a lot of the original UFC guys, man. Like, you know, I watched it back when it was, like, you know, fucking the, the karate guy versus sumo yeah. guy. You know, like, I, I, yeah, well, I watched, like, the UFC one, like, back when, like, Shamrock had, like, Lion's Den. And they were actually, like, competing gym. I was doing jujitsu like, 22 years ago when yeah. I was, like, 18. It was actually, like, mostly judo. But, like, our school fought Lion's Den. And so it was, like, you know, yeah, I, I was yeah. kind of, like, in it in the beginning. So watching it progress has been cool. Um, but there's been so many greats, man, like GSP, Anderson Silva. Um, I mean, you know, Vanderlei was always fucking fun yeah. to watch. Like, the, you know, you know, Vanderlei actually had a gym right next door. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just there was so many, man. And I feel like there was a lot more back then. And there was and it seemed like there was more personality back then. Now it's like the sport has progressed so much that everybody's so fucking good that it's hard to really stay on top for too long. Because yeah. there's so much competition. Like, you know, every day there's a new guy that's been training since he was fucking four years old, right? Like scientifically and like training the best way possible. Like back in the beginning it was like, okay, this guy is a fucking, you know, Jits guy. This guy yeah, is a yeah. fucking Muay Thai yeah. guy that also wrestled, <laughs> right? Like it was like now it's like 
they don't. I don't even know if they announce that anymore. It's like everybody's just like super well rounded, and they've you know they've got like preferences. But there's like back then it was like there was guys that only did judo. Remember, like yeah, you know yeah. people would have like a specific thing, and so yeah, you know Dan has got, done a great job, um, you know, with, with the sport and everything. Um, but like I said, you know, it's just tough because now everybody's so fucking good. It's yeah. hard to like have those guys that stay on top like Silva did or like GSP did or, you know, like, you know. Especially as they get older. Yeah, it's tough, man. But you, you're continuing to train. And, you know, I built this gym to train everyone, not just fighters. And uh-huh. you come uh, multiple times a year to come train. And you do it out of the love. Like you come in to train and oftentimes you don't take photos, don't do videos, and, and you do good. How is it to train and fighting for you? I mean, Since you don't have to, it's just passion and love. Yeah, I mean, dude, this is like your gym is honestly one of the reasons I like fucking Thailand. I mean, you know, I I talk about like, you know, some other islands that I go to and shit and it's cool. But like you can't find good fucking gyms there. And I'm not just MMA, but like you've got the full like fucking if you want to work out and hit the iron, you've got the real iron, you know, and like traveling through Europe, it's very hard to get that, you know, and I'm mm. always kind of been a fucking, you know, meathead. I've always been into working out. I've been doing, and you do work out hard. Yeah. I've been doing all that <laughs> shit. It's just like a part of me, you know, I've never taken more than like four days off in like the last 20 fucking whatever years. Like I just, I love it. So for me, a part of like traveling, it's very hard for me when I travel to have like a similar lifestyle to what I live at home. Mm-hmm. And Thailand is one of the few places, like with Siri Panwa, I mean, Juan has got the fucking greatest Amazing. resort. Yep. And he's, you know, always been the best fucking host. Absolutely. So with that resort, with the amazing diving, with this fucking world-class gym, I mean, it's just got everything that, I mean, dude, I stay here for a fucking month, yeah, man. I don't even know. Like, know. People ask me, like, dude, what do you do to keep them there for a month? I'm like, he loves it here. Dude, I, I, could, I, like, I get tired of yachts fucking quicker than, the, you know, and I'm talking about, like, fucking legit, like, crazy, badass, best of service. And it's like, I don't live as good on those spending a million dollars a week as I do here in Thailand. Right. It's like... Man, and the cool thing about this place is like anybody can afford it. Yep. You know, like it's not expensive. Your dollar goes as free diving is hardly anything. You could, you could kayak. Yeah. Dude, the best the things that I like the most in my life, like doing fucking mushrooms on a beach, free diving, fucking surfing, yep. whatever. Like all this stuff is doesn't cost shit. Yeah, and that's one of the things I talk about in the book. Is I like, like the ending, how you kind of round everything up. And, and kind of give your your take on how you built your life and what it overall means and like the yeah. value of what you achieved compared to the simpl- simplicity of of other things. Well, I think like I'm in a unique position to tell people that. Yeah, like, well, yeah, 100%. My dad made a lot of money and like he told me like money you know, doesn't bring you happiness. I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, because you don't spend it. Like, yeah. you don't have a fucking Lamborghini. You're not fucking a bunch of hot chicks. You're not doing this cool shit. Yeah. You know, so what the fuck do you know about money? You know, you may yeah. have a lot, but you don't spend a lot, right? Like, yeah. so, like, I spent a lot. Like, I did a lot of shit. Like, I've done everything that I wanted to do. And, like, yeah, that stuff is fun. I'm not going to say it to people that it's not. But, like I said, the things that I enjoy the most that I do now don't really cost shit. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand because it's something that, like, I spent most, I mean, almost my whole life chasing is money, thinking that that was kind of the answer. And it has been, like, cool. I mean, it's given me freedom. It's given me the ability to do a lot of shit. But you do not need money to be happy. And also, like, the more money you have, I actually would argue the harder it is to be happy because, like we talked about before, you know, now you're setting that baseline here. So, like... You know, getting those little pleasure spikes, going to the fucking movies, you know, fucking 
buying something cool, getting a good outfit, getting a pair of shoes, like all that stuff that made you happy when you didn't have money. Now it's like, you know, whatever. So yeah. we're a good example of that because like I set my life up similar in a way where I didn't, I didn't have a boss, you know, I have a good life. You know, I live on an Island. I have a, everything going for me. And then you show up and then, and then, <laughs> and then I'm like, fuck, I want what he has, you know? So, so you're that guy that's kind of making me want to level up now. So I mean, like, I hear you, but dude, we're living the same life right now. The last yeah, month true. we've been doing exactly the and same it's been amazing. shit. It's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the stuff we've been doing, like doesn't cost a lot of money and I've been having fucking a ton of fun, you yeah. know? So that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why I chose this place. Dude, you picked a great spot, man. I fucking love Thailand. And like, yeah. you've really carved out like a really cool spot here. And it's, uh, it's nice because I feel like, you know, I've got like a second home here, you know, with like Siri Ponwa and the fucking gym. And like, it's just, you know, you can eat, you can shower here, you can do all the fucking shit that you need and fucking boom, you know, it's, uh, it's nice, man. And lastly, since this is kind of a, a new thing that's starting to happen, um, this transition from, um, MMA being the biggest sport to now this boxing kind of mixture of MMA fighters versus boxing and Jake Paul being kind of the center of it. What's your take on that with his, his fights and this transition and Vitor Belfort jumping in and, 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 and Anderson Silva jumping in and, and all this kind of stuff. What's your take on this whole thing? You know, it's interesting. Cause I, I talked to, um, I talked to Jake about this, like, I don't know, man, maybe like two years ago when he first called out Connor, I hit him up and I was like, man, because I knew what he was doing. I saw what he was doing. I'm like, okay, like you're making yourself the bad guy. You're getting everybody to hate you. <laughs> you know, you're t he's, he took a big gamble, dude. Like yeah. a lot of people, they like see it on the outside. They don't see all the fucking angles. Like he, you know, like, yeah, he's done He's done some dumb shit, whatever. He's a fucking kid, dude. Like it, it can't count the number of dumb shit that I did. Like I can't even imagine have the spotlight on me that he has when I was that age. Yeah. Like I would look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. Right. But like, and yeah, he's done some shit that's made him look like a fucking idiot, but this, he's young, dude. But like he put his balls in line and you know, I'm not like some fucking huge Jake Paul fan or anything, but like, dude, he went all in. Like yeah. he put his balls on the line because if he had lost those fights, and granted, like some of those fights were fucking TF fights, but like those are real guys. The Tyron fight, I was really surprised that he took that fight. You know, but even the- That was uh, a big risk. Yeah. Man. Like the, the basketball player or whatever. That's kind yeah, of right, a fucking right. joke. But, you know, Ben Askren, people talk shit, whatever, but he's still a fucking tough motherfucker. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, he's, he's not- an a Olympian. He's not a predominantly striker, but he, this guy's been fighting for a living his whole life. That's what he does. Like, he's an Olympian. He's fucking, you know, like, yeah, he didn't show up in great shape. But, like, this is a fucking legit athlete, you know? And this is a guy that's been hit by the fucking hardest fucking punching guys. Like, he's, you know, he's got his stripes, dude. And so, you know, yeah, it you know, it wasn't, like, a super tough, but, but he's also a fucking YouTuber, dude. Like, he's not a guy <laughs> that, like, grew up getting punched in the face. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I see what he's doing. He's fucking making money you know like he's given a lot of these fighters their biggest paydays so i you know yeah yeah i mean i uh you know i i think i think it's impressive i think what he's done i mean we'll see where he goes with it but i mean look what his brother did i mean his brother made a fucking crazy amount of money yeah you know like i think those fights to a lot of people are more interesting than like the best guy this week in fucking, you know, boxing or MMA or whatever, because unless it's like somebody that's been, you know, at the top for a long time, like when Anderson Silva fights a guy that could beat Anderson Silva, that's like, okay, I'm going to tune yeah, in for that absolutely. motherfucker, right? But I'm also going to tune in when fucking Connor fights Floyd. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. those things. It's entertaining for sure. It's fucking entertaining. It's entertaining and, for and sure. What no Connor should have done is he should have come in at like fucking 190 and fought Floyd. Yeah. That's what he should have done. You know what I mean? Like that that should have been the second fight that they did. Because mm-hmm. you got to give people like, oh, but he's bigger, but this, but that. You know, let people fucking talk about it and generate interest and hype. And it's like those fights are interesting, you know, yeah. because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Like. Logan Paul is like fucking what six three fucking two hundred pounds, guy. you know. So like, everybody thought Floyd was gonna win, but like, he's also like knockout weight, you know. Like, I, I think if he was as good a boxer as Jake, you know, fucking who knows? Like, I, I think Jake versus um, Floyd, I think Floyd would still fucking win. Like, I, I think it'd win pretty fucking easy, but you know, it's still. I think it'd be an interesting fight. Like, I, I'd watch it. Let's put it that way. And so, mm-hmm. like, that's really what they've figured out. It's like. What are people going to watch? I mean, look at the WWE. I mean, it's like the fucking biggest yeah. joke ever, right? Like, it's all like choreographed nonsense. But people watch it and they it's make a lot of popular. fucking money. Yeah. All those guys make more money than the MMA fighters. And the MMA fighters could fucking walk out with brain damage, could fucking either break and they're snapping their fucking legs in half. Like, they're fighting for real, dude. And they're fighting in a cage and it's, you know, and they got all the fucking eyes on them. And they're taking big risks, and they're not really walking away with a lot of fucking money. And then you got, you know, guys at the fucking WWE. The granted, that sport's not, you know, it's like kind of a joke. I mean, it's all choreographed, but they can still fucking get hurt. And they're doing some shit that definitely does hurt, but it's choreographed. Like, yeah. it's not real fighting. So, you know, and they're making way more money. So it's like, this is kind of like a hybrid of that to me. And I think it's smart. I think, like, people want to see celebrities fight. Like, I would, you know, I would have watched fucking Fifty Cent and uh, and and Floyd get in the ring. Like, you know, Fifty Cent's gonna get fucked up, yeah. but I'd watch it. Like, yeah. I don't care. Like, it'd be interesting, you know. And it just just like it'd be interesting if fucking MGK and MMM decided to fucking throw gloves on yeah, and get yeah. in there, you know. Like, I think Justin Bieber called out Tom Cruise. That'd be an interesting one too. I would watch it. I would yeah. watch all. I'd of them. love to watch. You know that, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because you don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. You never know. And a lot of those fights, like you've watched the smoker fights, like with yeah. amateurs, those are fucking a lot Crazy. of way more fucking interesting. Because Usually guys, the first that connects goes down. Yeah, guys will show up in there and either fucking massively overperform or massively yep. underperform. But it's like it's always entertaining. Yeah. And I think that at the end of the day is what it's all about, right? Is entertainment. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, yep, I know you want to work out, and uh, I appreciate your time. I don't want to keep dragging you on here. We're going to hit the gym after this. But uh, this book is absolutely amazing, and it ships this week, correct? Yeah, I think I think next week. Next yep. week. Okay, so it ships next, next week. week, and how can people get it? Um, it's sold on Ignite.co. Okay, Ignite.co, and we'll put all the information in the um, description below. Dan, you were my dream guest to have on just because I, I started this podcast to, to interview interesting people, and there's no one more interesting than you. We became friends over time, and so it made for a better podcast. So I'm glad you turned me down for four years yeah. and made me work for this. I think it's, um, I think because it's we a much better, I think, podcast this time. Yeah, now that you like have the whole story, I think, yeah, the conversation is always going to be more interesting. Back yeah. in the day, it was like, you know, same questions. Oh, I heard you threw a chick off the roof. You know, it's like the same three <laughs> questions. So, yeah. Sure. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Cool. All, All right, right, brother. brother. Thank you. Anytime.